Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! It was time now. There was was all the time I needed. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we are doing another deep dive. Mandalorian isn't the only awesome sci-fi thing happening right now. Um, although, hmm, apples and oranges, in a way. Um, we are taking a deep dive into the season three of Star Trek Discovery. Uh, where Discovery has been warped 900 years into the future, and it is a whole new world, and it's seeking out old life but new civilizations, boldly going when no one has gone before. Which, by the way, is a marketing layup. CBS, you can have that one. Can't believe yeah, it. How, how they not use that? Right? It writes itself. Um, <laughs> but Discovery is a big deal. A lot of stuff going into that show. And so Graham and I, you know, we, we didn't want to do it alone. And so we have brought in some of the experts. Yeah, some familiar names and faces. Uh, we've got Mr. Dave Clark back Hi. for yet another run at uh, Trek content. Do you want to reintroduce yourself? I'm Dave. I have watched all of Star Trek a few times. Excellent. I mean, you say that offhand, but that's that's a lot of Star Trek. That's impressive. <laughs> and then we also have the ever-dependable and delightful Zinni. Well, thank you, yes. And I have also watched all of Star Trek except for the animated Star Trek. Oh, yeah. I've only seen bits and pieces of animated. I, I feel like I need to do that, but... It's uh, it's a bit I of a tough. I don't sit. feel like I need to do that. <laughs> more and more of it's becoming canon, so it feels kind of important. Yeah, I but I think yeah, the important parts that are becoming canon are getting re-explained, so I think that's okay. That's fair. Before we get started, just a heads up, this episode may seem a little bit disjointed. Uh, we originally recorded this after the first eight episodes of Discovery aired, and uh, we didn't get a chance to air it right away, and then all that, all that news broke last week. Uh, so we're catching up now, uh, so, uh, but what we did is we just added a little tag to add on the, the two-parter for episodes nine and ten. So early on, you'll hear us with a little bit less knowledge than you'd expect, but we will catch up towards the end of the episode. Okay, we are talking Star Trek Discovery Season 3. I think what we're going to do, we're, like, we are at Episode 8 right now, if I'm counting correctly. That's correct. That's right. We usually try to hit these things on the fives, but uh, it's... Uh, there's, I think there's five episodes left, so we're, we're hitting a five in there somewhere. Sure, that works out fine for me. So we'll start with general impressions before going into episode by episode, because I think that we have, a unusually for us, a broad range of opinions for this one. Um, so, for instance, I'll get started, lay down the pattern, uh, because I think my opinion is a contentious one. I don't know about this season so far, guys. I um, I don't think it's necessarily bad TV, but it's not the show I want it to be. I think that season three is Star Trek Discovery, 32nd century. I am so jazzed to find out what happened to all the different species I know. How do the new ships work? What's changed in the last 900 years? And I feel like... Like that's the like that's what I was baited with. That's what I thought this would be about. And what I'm getting is whenever that comes up, it's the B plot. And most of the time instead is spent on the Burnham and Friends crying time variety hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I have to say I uh, the thing I like most about this season is it's finally a show I can enjoy on its own merits because I'm not constantly nitpicking continuity stuff that that drives me 
crazy. Now it's free of the shackles of continuity, and and I get that it's you know the crying time variety hour, like you said. But that's kind of what the show has always been. It's always been a very emotional show, and and. So it gets to have its cake and eat it too. It gets to be that show without constantly contradicting past Star Trek. So I'm enjoying it on its own merits, finally. See, and it's interesting, Jesse, that you say that because that's exactly what I'm. What you're complaining about is what I'm getting from the the show this season. Is hey, look at the Andorians, and hey, look what happened to the Orion Syndicate, and hey, look what happened to the spaceships, and look what happened to the technology. And I'm finding that all very exciting. All right, and how about you, Dave? Well, I gotta find. I'd say that I'm a. I'm enjoying what's happened. I think. I think the thing that's the my problem is is that we're spending too much time. All right, overall impressions. Let me start there. I'm finding it. Uh, I'm finding the pacing of the season feeling very odd. We're, I feel like we're spending a lot of time not getting to the mystery box. We've we we you know you set up the mystery of the season, the burn. And we're getting tiny, ever so slight pieces of information about it. And we're spending a lot, like you said, a lot of time with with an emotional arc. But it's an emotional arc that I also don't feel is earned. It's, you know, Burnham's in love with this guy, but we didn't get to see the year she spent with him. And, you know, and then all this stuff that we do have on the ship, all these arcs that are happening on the ship are happening in such small pieces per episode it's a it's both slow and then it also feels jammed in it's like the episodes to me are feeling really rammed and hectic like they're sh- like i think cbs is still putting this on tv in some places and the cuts to 44 minutes i can really feel like we're, we're in and out of scenes and we're always in music we're always at the sort of the emotional crux of scenes the pacing of it's, the whole thing feels It's almost weird. a bit West Wing-ish, where everyone's talking and walking very quickly. <laughs> it's just, it's packed full of stuff, but a lot of it isn't the stuff that I want. I, I just want to say, I, have you seen Book? I, I don't need more than that. He's, he's a delight. Hey, I'm I don't the one need who's to, supposed to, I, <laughs> to talk need... about that. <laughs> <laughs> and I do enjoy him as a character uh, regardless, but I'm, I'm really enjoying him. He is so much better than uh, Vok or I whatever love. his the the previous, yeah yeah the previous love interest. I, I I don't even like I don't need to see a buildup of a relationship between them. I get it. He's he's delightful. I, I and I agree with you. But here's what I wanted. I I think you could have been at least two episodes at the beginning of the season. You know, I, before Discovery arrives. If you're going to do this, if it's going to be a year before before Burnham, before Discovery arrives, after Burnham arrives, I feel like we rush through that that one episode to sort of set her up, and then she spends a year growing her hair out, and, and we don't know what happened to her, you know? We still don't know what happened to her, other than she remembered how to mutiny. I remember <laughs> being very surprised that they found her so quickly. I thought it was going to be several episodes of them constantly missing each other and coming close to finding each other. Um, so, I, yeah, I thought that happened very too quickly. I'm glad it didn't. I feel like it would have been too frustrating, and it feels like we'll get into it as the we go through the episodes, but they're have already been a few things where it feels like there are sort of contrived C plots and D plots that are just there to fill time and haven't actually accomplished anything. You know, there's one plot line I can think of right off the bat where 
something traumatic happened and it's just been simmering in the background and in the most recent episode it kind of resolved it got, and yeah it, it got solved and it, it, they decided to solve it and that yeah. was it yeah, and that was no. it. There was nothing came of it. There was no point there. It was just to give a, a character slightly more screen time, I guess, and, and character development. Yeah. yeah. We'll get into it more. But like, I feel like if they had had, had a prolonged will-they-won't-they they discovery and Burnham reunion thing, I, I feel like it would have just dragged everything out even longer. And, and, and I think it, it could have been an inter- interesting season-long arc. But they were never going to do that. You need to have Burnham with the crew, I think, to have those interactions. The, the See, I don't know stuff about isn't that, the same. I, I also hate that. Like, I think that this has always been the Michael Burnham show, and that's what I dislike most about it. Well, the, you don't have to think that. That's like, literally what it is. It's the first Star yeah, Trek like, show where like, there's I, a defined primary and protagonist. I absolutely believe that they considered doing an entire season just the adventures of Burnham in the future without yeah. the discovery. That I... I guarantee that was on the writer's table. And and I mean, maybe this is a good way to segue into episode one. But I mean, I didn't like that at all. Like the first two episodes of this don't give you any more. In- like, yeah, let's just look. Okay, we were doing general impressions. Can I, I add one more it. thing to general impressions? Uh, sorry, that no one has mentioned yet. Sure. There yeah. seems to be a theme that having rewatched all eight episodes on the weekend, there seems to be a theme that runs through it, which is the values and principles of the Federation. It's constantly being referred to. It's constantly being referred to in characters' actions and in words and in the principles and in events that happens. See, look at the Federation. This is what they believe in. We have to get back to that. And I think that has been running through it over and over and over again. I I think that even goes back to previous seasons, like Burnham's big come to Jesus speech in, I think it was season one where where she and especially at the end of that season there's a voiceover thing when they're accepting an award or or something at the end of the season and she does this whole speech about the importance of the federation and it's meant to show how far she's come from from mutinying in the beginning of the series to to where she was at the end of season one and and it it goes through and even even pike's whole existence as an antidote to mr federation yeah Yeah, the antidote to lorca yeah and he's for sure, and he's great. It just seems to be like a, a continuing thread throughout but the, the whole Federation series. But the Federation now is not that anymore. That's what they have found in the future. And it's it's the discovery right. job I, to bring them back I, to those principles. Yeah, and yeah. I want to watch that show, but instead I keep having to put up with, well, Burnham just, it's been a whole year, and she doesn't remember what rules are like. And, and yeah, Saru does a great job of being like, no, stupid. You put everyone into danger for no good reason. Like, behave. <laughs> and like, I, I just, I feel like I really want to see the show, like the version of the show that exists without the Although Burnham you have to admit, I want to see Discovery doing Burnham. that. I want to see them going around being like bringing the Federation you have back. have to admit, Drug Burnham was great. Yes. Yes, but yeah, Burnham when they completely yes. changed her character. That's was hilarious. <laughs> she she changed all the things. Okay, like the okay. Voyager episode, yeah. <laughs> let's let's go into it. Tell, tell us about uh, episode one, Zanny, since you, well, you I just made, watched it. Well, I it's funny. I made notes about how this is not Star Trek Michael Burnham. This is Star Trek Discovery. And I was very unhappy that they didn't bring the, the ship into the first episode at all. They either should have split yeah. the scenes 
or they should have at least ended the, the first episode with the crash of Discovery onto the planet so we could see what happened to both of them. But the fact that they just stuck to um, Burnham was very disappointing. However, the, the special effects, um, like the programmable matter, I was just blown away by that. I love that. The stuff that's, you know, the furniture that's being created and dissolves as you need it, the portable yeah. transporters. Um, all that stuff I thought was just very cool and very and very interesting to watch. And of course, there's that emotional scene that's probably one of the most emotional scenes in the season. So in any of the seasons so far was when they find the Star Trek when they find Starfleet outpost, and that guy who's been sitting there for 45 years, and then yeah. they they drop the flag, and you just want to you know stand up and salute. <laughs> <laughs> So let's uh, let's let's not skip on the technical details. Just for record keeping, on um, the first episode, um, that hope is you because really uh, October fifteenth, the debut of season three. Uh, Burnham arrives in the future. It's a bad future. Starfleet ha- is gone. Uh, ships can't warp anymore because all the dilithium blew up. Um, she meets smuggler with a heart of gold. Han's nope, not Han. Um, book. <laughs> Um, Book is, you know, doesn't trust her. It doesn't trust anyone because he's a rogue and a scoundrel. He's also from a species that is, they say empathic, but it seems like it's telepathic to plants and animals. And it turns out that the reason he's a jerk is because he's trying to save the space animals and he and Booker team, uh, he, sorry, he and Burnham team up. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. And at the very end of the episode, right at, no, at the end of the episode, she's still looking for right. Discovery, right? Right. So this, like, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, we all like Book. That's fair. We don't have to go into that. He's on Solo. He's fine. Um, I wasn't, like, I slept through the whole arc of it, of the scoundrel with a heart of gold. I think I've seen this character so many times. It's like within five minutes of meeting him, I knew the end of his arc. Like, I knew how, where this was going. So I don't know if I was into that, but I absolutely understand they need to set up this new world, and this was a fun way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I buy it as 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 exposition, the 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 episode as exposition. I think you're right. Like I, I wonder what it would have been like because you you did this episode. Both, the first two episodes are written by the same writers and and directed by the same person as each other. So I yeah I wonder if there was a version of this uh, where they uh, ran both uh, both together both uh, both scenes cut back and forth in an hour and a half instead of forty four minutes and then at the end we discover that it's been a year which I mean I could see that I mean I don't know if the year thing is even a hundred percent necessary frankly I feel like I mean we'll talk more about it when we get to episode two but I feel like episode two gives us absolutely zero information that we haven't already seen in episode one it's just that episode one is Burnham and episode two is the discovery and they find each other at the end I think I think that's why I was saying well why not have made this one episode if you don't get new information if you don't set up new the only thing you get, no, you don't get. You get zero new information in episode two because it, it's still it's still the chain. The villain is still the chain. You're still dealing with the the learning about the burn. You're still dealing with learning about how uh, the federation's sort of remains are viewed. You're still you still get all of that sort of information, and you still get it at about the same pace. 
uh, you still get the, the new technology, um, you know, the programmable matter. It really is the same episode from two different perspectives. Well, gonna... So to do it as a mirror might have been... But the episode two, let's face it, was basically fi a Firefly episode. I mean, it was Western yeah. through and through. It had saloon doors and jangling spurs and bar brawls. Oh, so, yeah, everything. And, and, yeah, it was a sad imitation of Firefly. <laughs> Before we get too critical, just uh, what do you think if they had had swapped the order where they did the second episode first? That was something I saw suggested online. It's yeah. the same deal. I mean, the episodes are. But I disagree because the the second the there's a lot more going on with Burnham and Book, and so if the the second episode ends and you see Burnham and you're like, oh my god, we found her, and she's like, I've been here for a year, and then the next episode you're like, let's see what that year was like for her, then you are getting new information that you. No, wouldn't... I I disagree with your disagree. I think that's <laughs> then we just have... disagree. <laughs> then we just have to watch Burnham go through exactly the same thing that Discovery I, I just agree did. With Dave, they should have combined the two episodes. Yeah, or well, you're all wrong. It should because <laughs> then at least you get you are introduced to book, so you're getting new information about him at least, and you get to see. I did have a question though about the second episode. Why did Saru send Tilly to hide behind the bar when they got into the, when they got into the bar brawl? I mean, Western group, presumably because she doesn't have ear spikes. Well, but she's I a mean, Starfleet officer who's going to end up being his number one, and she. Well, but except that, that be, her being the number one well, is horseshit, so we can like we can I mean, do that right here. And also, it's Tilly; like she's not capable. That's her whole. She's, she's an ensign and an engineer at that. It's not like she's a security ensign. So I kind of get it, especially because you know Michelle Yeoh is gonna. She, she doesn't need any help. Just Tilly, get out of the way. You're, you're just gonna uh, mess things up. Let Star Michelle Yeoh handle don't, this. They don't make people go hide behind, go hide from the fights they get in. Well, you haven't had to deal with Tilly either. I mean, like, season one Wesley is sort of the mm. equivalent there. Couldn't you see Kirk telling Uhura to, to do that? No, like, I've original seen series? pull a phaser out. Yeah, I could see yeah. Kirk telling Yeoman yeah. Rand to do uh, that. Yeah. Sure, sure, that's fair. But Tilly does get well, the best line in the episode, which is you have some Leland on your shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that was a good line. Yeah. Uh, look, we're overlapping with season two. Let's let's just skim the details real quick. Episode uh, two. Episode two. Thank you. Episode two. Um, far from home, October twenty second. Um, Discovery shows up in the future. They crash on a glacier. They need resources to repair the ship, so they go out into the world. The world is the wild west without Starfleet there. Um, they walk into a saloon that's being oppressed by a cowboy. I guess a space cowboy and the space cowboy wants to start oppressing the Federation people too. And Saru tries to make peace and can't. And Giorgio comes in alternate Terran Giorgio comes in and kicks everybody's butt because she can do that. And, um, and then they get the stuff they need to repair the ship and it's almost not enough, but then Burnham shows up and rescues them. Um, okay. As just her, your, her usual. Should we read into the fact that episode one was called "The Hope Is You"? That hope is you, part one, and there has yet to be a part two. I think so. Okay, that. Thank you. Succinct answer. <laughs> <laughs> what, what else? I mean, because it didn't. They didn't name the second episode part two. So yeah, I think the hope is you. I think we're going to bookend. I bet. My guess is it's going to be the finale or the penultimate, one yeah. or the other. That's my guess. Who knows? Well, 
I mean, I know. I'm looking at the uh, the the Wikipedia for season three, and they've got all the episode titles, and there is no part two. Interesting. Oh, okay. Well, then never mind. Well, the, <laughs> although the last episode is uh, directed by Osinsani, who did the first two, so there is yeah. going to be some book ending, um, in intent, if not directly in name. So we'll see. In any case, um, episode one and two. I, uh, again, like we, Saru and Tilly discover all the same stuff that Burnham discovers that we've already seen. Uh, it does lay the groundwork for the sort of Saru and Tilly friendship, which they immediately decided to introduce in this season. Which, which is, works. I, and it's, it, I, I don't have a problem with it. I think it, yeah. it's earned. It's not completely out of nowhere. I, I think they, like, I really like the way those two characters bounce off each other. Absolutely. Um, I think that. Again, we'll we'll circle into it when we get there. But Tilly is first officer is ludicrous, but the two of them, the way their characters support one another, it works really well. So it was fun to see them together in this one, and almost disappointing that they had to have Giorgio come and wrap it all up for oh, them. Oh, but I love her so much. Oh yeah, I, she's... yeah, yeah. I'm I I agree on all fronts. I she's she's great, and I think she was a perfect person to wrap it up in that scene. But it completely undermines Saru's authority and, and agency. And capability. The dude can shoot spikes out of his ears. He doesn't he's not do a... that, though. We I, when was the last time he used those? He, he does that in the bar fight. Does he? he sorry, yeah. And he did it... Um, so the, the previous time to do that was when he actually developed it on Kanamar. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To be fair, he's been in space since then. Right? There hasn't been anybody to shoot with spikes in a little while, but... <laughs> But it also, it's it's another problem I have with this show from time to time. Um, and, and Star Trek has always been an action show on some level. But this this is the same problem I had with the Mirror Universe stuff in Season 1, where the, the whole point of the Mirror Universe is that it exists as a symbol of like what not to do and, and why our people are better because they can talk their way out of problems. There are diplomatic ways to handle things. And it's not all subterfuge and uh, n- knives to the neck. I would have loved to have seen Saru diplomatically resolve the situation and show why the Federation works and why Starfleet is important. And he does that him- in the next episode. Right. Right. And that is the Saru moment. So, so I can see, like how again, they're still like they're they're this is establishing stuff. Like Dave That's was saying, exposition. It's just frustrating because now we're eighty eight minutes into the season yeah. and it's still exposition. And we're adding. We're also, I think, we're we get the first instance for Giorgio's mental illness, whatever that ends up being, or now actual illness. Um, and but, we, and we get the first like of of Detmer PTSD. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. This is where she like she she hits her head when they crash, and then she's all weird. I don't yeah. know how else to put it. And by the way, I thought this the crash was really well done. The crash, yeah, the crash is very exciting. The, this show has never had any problem with its special effects or its set pieces. Still They're don't always why they don't numb. have auto restraints or seat belts or something. Really, well, they don't get those until the end of Nemesis. <laughs> Except well, for they had it in the motion picture. Oh, yeah. okay, it's true. We just skip that and go right to Khan. Yeah, again, I Discovery do. comes from an era before the motion picture, that's so that's true. canon. That's that works out. One little nitpick I want to hit just before we move on: the the crime syndicate made up of the Orions and the Andorians is called the Emerald Chain. 
It's mm-hmm. like we, so we have these the species who are green, and so their organization is called the Emerald Chain. Oh, and their flagship is called the Viridian. Uh huh. It's yeah. like did like did the writers like did they did they run out of some, like stuff to pay the writers with for this? You know, is their home world going to be Vert? <laughs> are you saying they ran out of uh, green for the writers? Uh, apparently, they have plenty of green. That's the problem. <laughs> I don't know. I'm. That, that 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 those things bug me it's like writers you have a job to do but on the other hand like okay there's this crime syndicate that's sort of risen to power and we get the impression that it's more of a crime syndicate than like an interspe like an intergalactic government like they yes. don't say it's you know the government of orion and the government of andorians yeah. it's just that we have these two people working there like that's kind of cool it's, well i think I it's like- an outgrowth of the orion syndicate absolutely absolutely makes sense but it's a bad name. I totally agree. And, and yeah. It, yeah, it doesn't take into account the blue of the Andorians. Yeah, it's like, are they the chain part? Like, I can't figure out. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> do we see, in the first episode, do we see Andorians participating in the... We do. In the There's an Orion and an Andorian interrogating Burnham when they right. give her the heavy drug. Right, okay. Because otherwise, oh, we only see Rind, and everybody else has been Orion. Right. Like, and Rind is is a there's historians in the background. Yeah, yeah. I feel like any of the leadership, any of the uh, characters with dialogue, have been uh, Orion, other than uh, Rin or whatever the hell his name yeah, is. It, it looks like the mid season antagonist is set up to be this Orion lady that we see in a couple of episodes. Osira. Yeah, I don't think she's going to last long, but she's sort of being set up as the the bad guy. At, you know, very typical like mustache twirling bad guy. Uh, which makes me think she's not going to be the big threat, right? She's going to be the mid-season. They're going to deal with her or even sort of convince her to join their side to fight the bigger whatever it is. I have a fun fact that popped up in my media feed um, that the actor who plays Rin is actually the uh, Tilly's husband in real life. No kidding. And apparently he was the Trekkie that had to convince her to take the role of Tilly and then begged for a chance to play something (laughs) off the show. (laughs) I mean, I would do the same thing in yeah. that circumstances. I can't, I can't blame him for that. And he also ran the uh, D&D game that they had. Right. Right, right, yeah. And that is close well, to my heart. So there you dream, go. Isn't he? Absolutely. <laughs> All right, well, let's... I mean, we've sort of done both episodes in one. Let's move on to episode three, especially if you know other reason, because I, I liked this one. Um, People of Earth, directed by, you know, personal hero Jonathan Frakes. Uh, aired on October 29th. Um, the, everyone's back together. Discovery can go wherever it wants all the time, so they go back to Earth because let's see what's going on. Uh, turns out Earth isn't part of the Federation anymore. They've become isolationist. Um, and primarily, like, not primarily, but it's highlighted by the fact that they're constantly being raided by this weird bug guy. They try to get them to talk to each other, and Giorgio takes off the bug guy's helmet. And he's not a bug guy. He's a person from Jupiter. Uh, it turns out that uh, Earth Titan. from Titan, from one of Jupiter's moons. Uh, it turns out that Earth being isolated, like they've abandoned other humans who need help in the solar system, and they just haven't been talking. And Saru gets them like into see like, hey, there's there's a benefit to not just seeing to your own thing. It's good to help out other people too. It can benefit everybody. And also, Adira Tull joins the crew. Um, 
Which, let's not skip over that. I know it's not as big a deal to those of us on the show, but it's a big deal in general. So Adira, so the first non-binary character played by the first non-binary actor. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. Okay. Yeah, which, which will continue. Now, and the, which is a big deal, admittedly not in circles that the four of us personally dip our toes in, but I can understand why it would be very exciting. Uh you know, like to have that marginalized kind of community highlight in such a fashion. Yeah, but we um, don't know about this until the next episode. Oh no, I think it might be a couple episodes. Yeah, it's 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 just this recent, so it's episode eight. So we get the character in episode three, and we get them coming out as non-binary in episode eight. So they spend a long time being called. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like I heard about it before the season even started, right? Yeah, yes, absolutely. And- the announcement yeah, because that had been big um but but yeah uh, adira's the non-binary aspect of the character was announced months and months ago and so when the character was introduced and the pronouns used were she and her and all that there was some outrage on the internet but then it became clear that that was going to be part of the character's arc and and people got on board with it a bit more um but yeah let's let's worry about gray next episode let's keep going with uh with with this episode yeah so this episode this was fun this was an episode this was the episode it's like okay i can see what this season is going to be about right like this was discovery showing up and being like hey you remember the federation that was great why aren't you doing that anymore yeah absolutely yeah and and it was an interesting use of the trill stuff by the end of the episode uh some some call back to continuity from deep space nine that that was really uh you know it, it was a, a cool twist to use the star trek canon in a, in a new and interesting way which is something that i don't know they've done as successfully in previous seasons in this I, season they're really going hard for it i still have a nitpick about this one which i think we had talked about at some point before which is they cl- they seem to have not known what a trill was and that is not canon that's yeah we we talked about this before it's debatable we know the trill had contact with the federation around that time that discovery existed Uh, but it's still up in the air whether or not the full details about how the symbionts work were known to the federation because in the next generation episode where we first are introduced to the trill it seems like a big shock to them yeah and yeah, and but in a Deep Space Nine episode, it's implied that one of Jadzia's previous, or sorry, Dax's previous hosts had had a fling with Doctor McCoy. So yes, there's it's the and continuity it there first, is. It wasn't her first iteration of Dax, so she was Dax even before that. Yeah, but I don't know if the previous Daxes would have uh, interacted with the Federation. But Adira but, knew that Gray was a Trill. Yeah, but they're in the future. Yeah, they're yeah. in the future. Yeah. So the Discovery crew doesn't really know much about the Trill, but everyone else presumably does, right? Yeah. I think I, I think I bought that. I didn't I didn't bump on that. I I'm getting a headache. Yeah, no, I think yeah, because Indira and 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 Gray are from the thirty second century, and and have they've known since you know the Federation has known about Trill in full since Deep Space Nine. So I think that all works. And we Federation discovers about the symbionts at TNG, but the Federation meets the Trill in original series, period. So I think that all follows. It's just, it's... 
it's never been laid out like that. Yeah, and it, it, it it's tricky for us because we are not we are coming to this information in in the other direction. And, right. and but I think when you when you sort of put it all together, I don't think they needed to have learned about the trail from the sphere data. They could have learned about the trail from Earth or from or from something else but uh, you know maybe they they knew about trill but not about the symbiote i think if you actually investigate the canon i think we would if you had just had them already know about the trill and the symbionts then the next generation episode gets weird because they are discovering about the symbiote when uh oban is injured yeah and that episode like all of the stuff that's established about the trill in that episode is almost immediately uh, contradicted by Deep Space Nine. So all, the trill have always been kind of a weird one. Not to mention the it's makeup. Like it, it's like they weren't sure how they <laughs> yeah. wanted to place them. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Like, what's happening here is that, like, the writers like, haven't figured out the species entirely yet, right? Like, this is the same thing with the Klingons. The reason they didn't look as forehead ridgy in the original series was because of practical concerns. Yeah, well, not we do because... not speak of this. Yeah, yeah. They've, they've done a couple explanations since then, but like we can accept at some level that, yeah, this is kind of up in the air. And I know that's I, weird coming from me because I'm the in universe guy. I have well, another I, bone to pick with this episode. Can I start another topic other than. Please trail? do. Bone away. The dilithium thing. They specifically state in this episode that all dilithium went inert and then active warp cores exploded. So if all dilithium went inert, then how is there still dilithium? Yeah, this. So this is what I'm. This is what I'm getting from this, and it's not clearly laid out on the show. And in fact, I think the dialogue contradicts itself a couple times. But what I'm understanding in my head is that the the purpose of the dilithium crystal is to regulate the matter antimatter reaction happening in the engine. Mm-hmm. Right, they, they they're they're banging these two things up against each other that usually immediately blow up, but the dilithium crystal regulates that, and they can generate energy from it. My understanding is they actually they the streams meet at the crystal. If I'm looking at my next gen, uh, yeah, because the crystal, yeah, the crystal is what manages that. Yeah, right, like literally the inside in, the crystal. Yeah, yeah. So. If the burn is something that spreads through the galaxy and affects dilithium and makes it inert even temporarily, like as it passes, say, then any ship drawing power from its warp core is suddenly going to have a matter-antimatter explosion. A warp core breach. Sure. So it didn't... So it only turned the dilithium inert as the beam or whatever it was passed through it? That's what I'm gathering because otherwise they wouldn't be able to use any because like, they're right. still using dilithium right it's scarce and rare and all that jazz but it's still worth the other like interpretation is that almost all the dilithium went bad and some of it is still good and that seems that? like it's a lot more difficult to parse yeah i, I, I have a theory and it might be you know it's not what's said but I, what would make sense to me is all mined and you know refined dilithium has failed and they're now you know they're into unmined they're they're the, all the new dilithium since the burn has been mined and and recovered since the burn but because of the lack of active warp like it's it's just so slow to to get it out and about 
because so what do we know is we know that the emerald chain has a source of dilithium that they're or whoever it is is feeding them out to the couriers as needed so there is a source of dilithium so did that come from outside the burn or did that come from i got the feeling it's there that mind? they're scavenging it or yeah or is it that it exploded into such a space that that all all new warp cores have to use significantly less dilithium really smaller amounts I mean, we saw the dilithium crystals in several movies and in Next Gen, and they were like the size of my arm. And these crystals that we see in the first episode here are the Fragments. size of, yeah, the size of my thumb. So these are very different pieces of, of props, but they're also very different. Like, you know, they represent, you know, what they represent is completely different volumes. Now to add, like just add on to your theory there that we do know from later episodes, which we'll get to, we've got to stop saying that, that even before the burn, there was a, like a galaxy-wide dilithium shortage. They were running out all over the place, even before the burn. Yeah. So I'm on board with, okay, they're making more efficient engines. They're making more with less. Dilithium is becoming harder to use. Mm -hmm. like, so I'm, I'm not worried about the... Like, I don't know that the size of the crystal is necessarily connected to it. I mean, it does bug me a little, like, the idea of dilithium being a finite fuel source when, you know, since next gen, we've been recrystallizing our dilithium. Um, and for that matter, in Discovery, we have the character, like, it's rare and secret and important, but Queen, whatever the heck, is has built a thing to recrystallize dilithium. So it seems like if you can run a ship off of a palm full of dilithium, it seems like you're fine, because you can just keep recrystallizing it or what have you. Perhaps. I mean, there's plenty of in-universe explanations, I guess, for why that wouldn't work, but yeah. I mean, it, the idea that they're still using it and running out seems like one of those things. I want to think it's going to be explained as we find out more about the burn, but based on the last couple seasons of Discovery, I feel like it's just going to be hand-waved away. I hope not, because that's a huge piece of the whole plot line running through the entire season. It's it's tricky because it's, it, Burnham seems to care what caused the burn, but not, you know, as a science officer, it could be, well, how do we reverse it? And and that seems to be, maybe maybe that's the goal. Maybe she's going to find out what causes it and then... If that's how you find out what to do about it. Right, but I guess, you know, I guess we're led to believe, you know, the Federation's best scientists spent the first 50 years trying to figure out how to go back and couldn't. Unless, this, unless the SB-19, which we'll talk about when we get closer to the uh, last <laughs> yeah. episode, unless that becomes a replacement, whatever it is. So yeah, I mean, it's we're getting into some pretty broad concepts. I guess we're saying we don't have that much to say about the third episode. Well, I want to add a couple of things about this episode that I thought were were in. I loved the um, when the the line of view screen, how quaint, yes. which was a throwback yeah. to Scotty in the yeah. Wales movie. And <laughs> right, all, true. And also the uh, banter between Book and Burnham. I felt like I was watching a buddy spy comedy. Where it was like, you know, oh, remember Donatu 7? I'm sober. Maybe it'll work this time. I yeah. mean, they, they, they've had that running through the entire episode. I was and also... It, hmm, go ahead. I, I think just, it that, worked. That bugged me. That like, what? Wow. Yeah. That, like, <laughs> I think that goes back to what Dave was saying, where it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's tell and not show. I want to be shown their relationship has grown. I don't want to have just a bunch of references thrown out. It's like, oh, okay, they're buddies now. I took it for what for the light frivolity that it was. Indeed. 
But uh, I concur. Just a, a couple of other quick things, though, is I really had when they went back to Starfleet Academy and found the, the thousand year old tree. I was really hoping there'd be a plaque to Boothby or something. I really was looking for that. <laughs> The and only also, gardener on earth. <laughs> I was blown away that the Golden Gate Bridge was still there. <laughs> oh, well, where's it going to go? Really? I mean, they need the Golden Gate Bridge? No, they've had it laid with solar panels for a while, right? Yeah. Like, we do see we, that in the card, and we see that in the Kelvin timeline, I think. Yeah. Do we need the Colosseum? Do we need the pyramids? Oh, you know, please, that's not the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the Golden Gate Bridge. It ain't worth <laughs> Sorry to the fans in San Francisco. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, those are my thoughts on that episode. <laughs> it was it was a nice moment. Like it was a nice moment to see them sort of feeling quote home. Um, at least the the, I mean everybody everybody obviously went to Starfleet Academy. Everybody who's there, so they they did they did you know they have a relationship to that place. I was surprised there wasn't more of let's just stay here let's just quit you know like i mean that they do that that moment in in voyager when they get to the planet with the 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 42 the 32s or whatever they're 39ers i don't remember what they're called but they um they have that moment where they're gonna find out how many how many people want to stay and i think there's a, a similar how many people are gonna leave or join, you know. I think that 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 moment I've seen in a lot of things, and I was I was hoping for more of that moment. I don't know why I was hoping for it, but I, I feel like there would be a demand to stay. Like, listen, we went to the future. We we saved the universe. Let's relax a bit, you know. But no, they're they're onward and upward. My- well, they're clinging to each other. They've lost everything and everybody, so I can't imagine them wanting to leave each other. And I but think yeah, that's explored yeah. in the next episode. That's true. Okay, well then, let's hit the next episode. Uh, Forget Me Not, November 5th. Um, they need to... So Adira is carrying a Trill symbiont that is the ho- that is the symbiont from the host, which was the Starfleet Admiral who sent them the message about how to find the Federation. Um, but the message ain't good enough, and unlike a lot of Trill, because she's not a Trill, she's a human, Adira can't get the memories from the symbiont. So they go to the Trill homeworld, which I think is also just called Trill, but they call it the Trill homeworld just to save you that confusion. Um, it turns out the Trill are pretty divided about how they feel about a human carrying a Trill symbiont. Um, they, there's there's conflict. One of them tries to, like, like to, it seems like trying to kill her and take the symbiont out. But eventually she's smuggled into the Trill caves, the same ones we remember from Deep Space Nine, which felt great, warm and fuzzy memory. And we have a whole, this is all taking place in your head scene with Adira, where we work out that she got her symbiont because the symbiont used to belong to her Trill boyfriend, but the boyfriend was killed in an accident. And she took the Trill to keep its its memories alive. And she just has been like burying the trauma. And now that she's open and dealing with it, she's able to, to read the memories again. And this is the, the boyfriend is the trans actor. And um, they, oh, they so haven't- he's not binary, he's trans. Yes, ah. and they haven't they haven't gone into you know the, any details about the they, they I don't think they've said on screen that Gray is trans, but that is I guess based on how they talked about the character in the lead up to it, it's implied. But I kind of like that they haven't made a big deal out of it. It's just he's a he, and 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 that's all cool. 
I think that's exactly what they were going for. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's trans actor playing playing male character, trans male character is implied. Yeah, and that's fair. Uh, in terms of the the Trek stuff in this episode, I really liked this episode, like as an episode of Star Trek. Like they go to a strange world and they beam down, and everyone's got weird colored outfits, and there are strange bugs, and there's a misunderstanding because a different society. Like it was very. Like almost next gen in a way. It was a, it was a very science fiction kind of thing, even though it's a species we're already familiar with. I really liked the adventure aspect of this one. Um, I did think spend a little too much time in Adira's head at the end. Like I think we all saw where it was going long before the characters did. Yeah, but in the pool, yeah, yeah. Although but it, well, but it, the end scene where they recite your names and welcome to this that was very touching. Where she recites all she yeah that was well done yeah. Yeah, and you get to see some some different Starfleet uniforms, and I guess yeah. not necessarily Starfleet uniforms from the missing centuries uh, between Nemesis and now, or I guess Lower Decks and now. Yeah, there's one very Picard one. Yeah, uh, there's there's a, a few cool things that we see, like that the passage of time, which again is the thing I'm interested in. So <laughs> give me give me more of that. So there was this also is a lot of comedy in this episode. I mean, that dinner. Who hasn't had a family dinner like that? <laughs> Well, let me just say before we get to that, because I got a lot of stuff to say about that, too. But um, the this it was the, the episode I where the main character, Michael Burnham thing bothered me more than oh, any wh- of the why does she go down to the planet instead of Culber? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Culber is like has made this connection with Adira and is like, I, you know, clearly Adira needs someone to go down with her. But it's not going to be me. I'm going to get Burnham for reasons and the reason is she's the main character it doesn't make any sense yeah, why he it basically would be tells him. her he basically tells burnham that he can't go because he's not the protagonist yeah that is almost exactly what he says and yeah. it's so frustrating because culper is great i want to see more of him and yeah. this is a great opportunity to have more of him his character works with adira's character and they do keep building on that later but like it it so should have been him who went down there Except that it's like that's what they would have done on Star Trek, and this is this is Star Trek colon Michael Burnham, and and Colbert is a character that really had no impact on me in the first two seasons. He was sort of uh, just a generic nice guy who gets killed, and then he's a traumatized nice guy, and now he's fulfilling the like Counselor Troy role that yes. Counselor Troy rarely got to do well on Next Generation, and he's so good at it. He he's straddles the line between great with Giorgio. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he's great with everyone. Uh, another yeah, thing, he, just to, another I, character who uh, used to I didn't really have any strong feelings about, or if I did, they weren't great. Is Jet Reno, and in the first or the second <laughs> episode, she's got some great moments with Stamets, and and yes. uh, she's complaining about her back being thrown out, and it's like since then she's just disappeared. It's like they might as well have left her on Earth in the previous episode because. I don't know. Is she even on the show anymore? It's she's on part time. I've, I've actually heard her talk about this in interviews where it's like she only signed up to do little bits here and there. Like she she has no interest. She's out touring. She's doing her comedy stuff, which I mean, said a lot about during the pandemic, but fine. <laughs> but she she has decided herself that she doesn't want to be a main character on the show. And I think that's a missed opportunity because she's a blast. Yeah, I, I would imagine that has a lot to do with what she values and doesn't value like i don't i don't think she i got the impression like the dry humor is fantastic the the dry wit which jet 
really does well is great, but I wonder if that might, A, get a little grating after a while, just being the downer dry, you know, I'm going to burn you again and again and again. Like, it's one note, but I, I like it. But I feel like I feel like seven episodes is a long time between hits of that. Like, I feel well, like we could have had her back more recently than that. The people, the Earth people conf- uh, accuse them of being dysfunctional. And they both, Stamets and, and, her, and Reno, and they look at her and say, well, yeah, that's why it works. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they make yeah, a nice we, little group that way. I, I, yeah, yeah. And then she disappears. And now no, they're no, a group. She's like, back and when they go back to the Fed, to Starfleet headquarters. She does that's one of the funniest interviews. Yeah. yeah. You're right. You're right. And it's just a hit. I think that, I mean, listen, it, my understanding is it was, you know, Jet wanted to do what Jet wanted to do. And so a lot of this, like, in terms of function on the ship, uh, Adira has a lot of that taken now. Mm-hmm. So you, how many how many engineers are we going to look at? Right, we've True. got we got Tilly, who is is a science engineering person. It's Stamets, Jet, and Adira. They're all, everybody is is a science genius, right? Like, I mean, and technically Burnham is a science officer as well. Right. Her actual responsibilities appear to be adventuring, but regardless, <laughs> you sound like you sound like an admiral or something admonishing the crew. <laughs> She deserves to be admonished. Yeah. She's a bad officer. Hey, let's not forget the, the important piece that's right at the end of this episode, which is the musical piece on the cello. Which, yeah, yeah. I don't think we know about yet about why it's creepy. I'm not but sure. But that's where we hear it the first time, where Adira yeah. plays it on the cello. Because yeah. Gray was playing it. Right. Right. So they've got it. They already have it. Um, and that comes up later. Uh I really also appreciated the time in Adira's head and with the with the the symbiote um, with Tal in in you know learning about that. I really also enjoyed being in the symbiote caves and remembering that from I think two visits with Dax. Um, you know, obviously it looks better now, but um, I, I really liked going back there. I really liked you know in a way I liked being you know all these places of sort of it's a it's a bad time in the galaxy and 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 so when you know everybody's stressed and 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 all these global governments that sort of were relying on the federation and as a part of the federation to fractured and 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 the the you you had everybody out in the galaxy and now they're they're not they're gone we're we're missing people you know our our society has been significantly damaged by the by the burn and this is why and this is especially relevant to the trill because the symbiotes have been gone and and all that sort of stuff i really enjoyed that and uh and i and i you know what i don't want it to be the adira show as much as i don't want it to be the michael burn show but i i I do, I do, I did like this moment to grow this new character that we're going to bring along with us, uh, at least establish uh, them. And I thought that was yeah. working well. Yeah, I think it's a good way to do the development of like this show's arc, but still ground it in Star Trek stuff. It was, it was a combination of what they want to do and what I want. Like I want more of that universe and see what's happening there. They want to develop their characters, balanced it out. I think this was a really good way to do it. Yeah. So. Uh, Zinni was talking about the dinner uh, scene at the end of this episode where uh, 
it's a sort of a nice but somewhat tense dinner. Saru is is thrown every all the main characters so that uh, to try and improve morale. And Detmer goes kind of has a, this like weird PTS meltdown. Meltdown, um, which. I don't know. It, maybe it is an accurate PTSD interpretation, but my my TV radar was like, oh, there's there's something more going on here, and it's never really addressed. She just sort of goes to Colbert at the end of the episode and was like, I was wrong to talk about, you know, hurting Stamets or whatever, and that has this like boohoo moment, but it doesn't go anywhere. Well, she does say, no, I'm not okay. Yeah, but so I, she it admits felt there's a like problem. So again, maybe this is just like me being raised on TV and, and seeing something like that and thinking it's more than just a uh, psychological issue, but it seemed like she was seriously like a threat and, and dangerous. I no, see I didn't I see it that I see these people as being incredibly traumatized. The whole time this happened, even from the end of last season, I remember looking at them going, How can they just disappear and say like they don't even get a chance to say goodbye to their families how can this not traumatize them and so finally it's coming out i i agree with zinni i think this is um like it's the first time that we're actually going to see a a, in star trek actual mental illness portrayed in a relatively realistic way i think all the other instances we've had of mental illness portrayed on star trek is has been really ridiculous uh even when in the context of having a counselor like the counseling is so dated it was out of date at the time that they were putting it on tv it was so dated like that style of counseling uh and i think this is an opportunity for them to sort of rectify that and and it does it my understanding is those are actual ptsd symptoms and Mm. i hope that they don't put it into her implant. I hope that they keep it as 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 mental illness and, and, and depression and Well she's going on and on about the blood. The blood. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah, I yeah, think she definitely comes across that way. And I I like how they've been sort of sneaking it in uh, just keeping us a reminder that it's happening in subsequent episodes. But in the most recent episode they went in another direction with it. We'll circle back to it. It looks like they might be closing the book. And if they do, I will be extremely disappointed. Yeah, because they haven't solved it. They haven't. Yeah. It looks like they're going with they've, that they think they've solved it. And I, I'm hoping that's not the case. Cause she, at one point she redesigns her controls to make sure there's extra fail safes. Right. Oh yeah. There's all kinds of little things like that. Like she's, there's a line in that at the end of that dinner where Saru says to Colbert, "We are not fine," and Colbert says, "How could we be?" Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Uh, great Colbert that was, stuff. That was good, and yeah, like I totally think um, the actor's name has escaped me as uh, Wilson. I think something Wilson. Yes, Wilson. yes, yeah. Wilson Cruz yeah. is the actor. Yeah, right? I think he is killing it. Like I think he is doing fantastic which is and it's hard because they're like oh you know what you're gonna be a counselor this season you're not gonna be a doctor okay (laughs) i mean that's the problem with having him not be the chief medical officer which is something that i find incredibly frustrating like there there's a there is a head doctor there's a dr crusher i can't remember the character's name paul paul she's not important enough to yeah. have a name that's, I mean I know she does but <laughs> I can she's not to her but I can't yeah yeah she's never been a fo- she's, she's never been a focus for the camera no. but it's like it doesn't make 
sense. Like, it, it sort of made sense in season one when they were kind of focusing on, on the show as, like, lower decks characters with Ensign Tilly and, and Lieutenant Burnham and everything. But now, where everyone's main characters and bridge crew, it doesn't make sense that he's not the chief medical officer as far as Star Trek stuff goes. Yeah. Or that the chief medical officer wasn't included in that uh, that, that Saru meal. Yeah, you should have you you should have you should have killed her in the crash. I mean, I'm sure, like, or arc wise, you know, you know, you give him the promotion, give him more responsibility. Uh, he's already and, got and screen, time, and then it right? makes sense. Yeah. yeah, then it makes sense why he's the only doctor you ever see. Yeah. <laughs> so we got to move on. Um, a matter of time. Just, just I need to sneak in before we leave this episode. Of this we also see a hint. Of the computer, or I mean, Saru lays it out, but the computer and the sphere data merging to become an intelligence. Yeah. And it's foreshadowing Zora, the like living computer that we see from the short trek Calypso. Yeah. But again, this uh, happens in episode four, and it hasn't been addressed in the subsequent four episodes. It hasn't been addressed, and it, it, it raises some questions about canon, because that episode Calypso, which features that woman voice computer implying that it takes place after what we're seeing but it took place on the unmodified discovery so there's some confusion about what's happening there like where that short trek fits into the timeline now yeah. we don't know yet we may we don't know yet but it would well if they uh, my guess is we will not get a, a a canonical canonically functioning answer to that because that they've written, they were, they probably wrote themselves into a corner. This is my guess. I don't imagine you're going to have, oh, and then the discovery used programmable matter to put itself back together after the crew all left it and now is, is afloat in the universe. I doubt it. Like, there's no way they're going to do that. That's there's, <laughs> we're, yeah, it's, it seems like they just didn't know about the refit before they wrote that episode. Yeah. Uh, but it does leave a big hole in canon that like that's big enough to be a plot hole. So we'll have to see what happens with those characters. But we'll give them that chance that hasn't been discussed yet. We got to move on. So episode five. Uh, so episode five, die trying, November twelfth. Um, so they so she's got her memories back from the the symbiont, and they go and they find and they find Starfleet. Hooray, they're there. They're back. Uh, they meet the head of Starfleet, who might also be the head of the civilian government. We're not sure. It's confusing and maybe a little tense. But uh, Admiral Vance, um, they find the Federation, and look, and everything's wonderful. There's a spaceship named after Nog. That's great. Officially, it's the Eisenberg class, which is delightful. And um, Voyager. Yeah, and we find the Voyager J, which eh, less delightful, but still there. <laughs> Uh, we get to see all the new stuff, all the new toys, all the new uniforms, the new badges. Um, Discovery is initially distrusted, uh, but they go and help save a problem by finding a seed ship um, that gives them the opportunity to save a, a virus. Like they're a, It's their idea, and only they can do it because of the spore drive, and they earn the trust as sort of this group of the Federation. And they get to ditch one of their characters that they're not doing anything with. Um, Doctor Doctor Nunn, who showed up in the second season, originally was, was she a doctor? Episodes. No, she was a security officer. Chief. Yeah. Oh, it might. Sorry, it might be Commander D. Dot Nunn. It might not be Doctor D. Might be an ah. initial for her first name. I'm confirming that now. Yeah. Yes, she is security officer. I guess there's nothing saying she can't have a PhD as well. <laughs> in security. 
Um, never really found anything to do with her, and they got rid of her. Kind of the same way they got rid of Arium, but at least they didn't you know, have to put her out in airlock. Yeah. They just... I don't know if that was believable, is what I'm getting at. Um, None traveled with this crew, and are the only people that she's known in a you know in a, in 900 years in the future, where she doesn't know anything or anybody, and then is totally jazzed to essentially go live alone on a ghost ship. But and it's considered a happy back ending with her own people. Yeah, she's going to go take it to Barzan. And and I guess of anyone of on the show, it's like she barely knows these people anyway. She's been she was a crew member from the Enterprise, so right. if it's if anyone was going to do it, it makes the most sense for it to be her. Cause it's like, well, I barely know these people anyway. I might as well go see what's going on with my planet. But you can't tell me it's not a weird arc for that character. Oh, it for sure is. It's so weird that they would bring her into the, the season three just so that they can get rid of her in, the, in this episode. But it was a nice story. Do you, yeah. Uh, do you think, do you think the bars and are going to show up at the end to save the day? That, that makes sense. I mean, they did play that card. That's how season two ended, where all the good deeds they did over the course of the season came back to help them against the, the big baddie. Mm-hmm. And they were humming that tune. So they're in yes, tune. That's, right. that's, yeah. Sorry, yes, that's another important thing. This is where we discover that people apparently completely disconnected all over the galaxy all know this same song. Mm-hmm. Um, Very Battlestar Galactica. Exactly, riffing on the, the Watchtower a little. Yeah. So, oh, the other thing we find out, sorry, that I don't know if anybody picked up on, is that there's a biological component to the Terrans being mean. Oh, yeah, the Cronenberg scene. Right. The Cronenberg, oh, Cronenberg was so good. So good. <laughs> so weird. Like, when they said Cronenberg was going to guest star in Discovery, it was like, what the hell? <laughs> But yeah, he, he he worked out really well as like the, the the Star Trek Discovery's version of the Smoking Man from X Files. Yeah, and apparently he's back in episode nine, which will have aired by the time this episode comes out. But uh, we haven't seen yet. Well, he did a great job, and I'm wondering what they're going to do with that piece because he also says the Terran Empire fell centuries ago, and no one's seen anyone from there for 500 years. Well, we know the Terran yeah, Empire know. falls before DS9. We do. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. In DS9, when they go to the mirror universe, the the Terrans are all slaves, right? The the Klingon Cardassian oh, but, alliance. But, but nobody, but that whole that no one has even seen that universe in over five hundred years. No, but well, yeah, the Terran Empire could have come back in the last five hundred years, but we know the Empire has fallen. Yeah, like, it was around for Discovery and the original series, presumably for Next Generation. Um, there are some comic books of questionable canonicity. Let's say that it's it's waning in that era, and then by DS9, the Terran Empire is gone. But why bring it up unless you're going to refer back to it later? That's what I Right. Mean. Yeah, there's something oh. going on with Giorgio, and yeah. we know Giorgio is getting her own show. Uh, so, I, I mean, the, uh, the assumption seems to be that for whatever reason, she can't seem to exist in the future. So maybe they're going to send her back, and that's how that's going to work. Tough call. I was going to say, we also need to get her onto her own show. Uh, which has been greenlit, but I do not believe that they have started working on. Right, but that's pandemic, right? Like, yeah. That's not right. uncertainty about the point, show. But no, 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 but we have to get her, like, first of all, I don't think she's going to do two shows, Michelle. Uh, and second, we have to get her, because she has, a, unless it takes place during... In the future? Yeah, either she leaves Discovery in the future and the show takes place in the future, but it's called Section 31, 
which I mean, I buy Cronenberg as, as the remains of Section 31, or she goes back. Easily. Or it takes right. place before the end of season two with the, the time she spent between season one and season two. But I don't know if they would Which do... would be really difficult to yeah, pull off. Yeah. A popular theory seems to be that they're going to be sending her back somehow. That there's something about the future that she can't live there. And that's why she's having this, this weird quantum problem that they can't figure out. But this is where we first get the hint of it. And frankly, I'm not convinced that Cronenberg isn't behind it somehow because we don't get a clear idea of who he is, really. But he like, he owns her in a way that no characters have been able to own Terrans, right? Like, like, she is never in control when she's talking to him. And it's in a completely different way than we've seen before. You know, she's all, like, arrogant and unflappable and aggressive. And he just rolls with it. He just, like, lets it go and keeps it just, just calmly pointing out why none of this matters and nothing you're doing scares me. It was it was really good. I, that, I got chills. Yes, the it was two. fabulous. And there was also some good comedy in this, the interviews. Yeah. They, they were hilarious. I feel like every, every sci-fi show... I, I feel it feels like there's an episode like this. Like I know there's one in Firefly. I'm pretty sure there's a Deep Space Nine one where where you know every character gets separated and there's an interrogation and it cuts from one character being interrogated to the other and they're always entertaining and it's always well done. And this the was end, a, the end of the season two. That was the last thing that happened was the, the interrogating everyone who stayed behind about what happened to Discovery. Right. Yeah. 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 But I mean, there was lines <laughs> on here like. When they were talking to Colburn, the guy says, so you were physically dead? And he says, I was emotionally dead, too. I was murdered. That can do a number on you. The murderer and I are good now. <laughs> yeah, there was, a, there was a number of really, really fun bits in there, uh, for sure. It's a good trope. I like it. Used sparingly. Okay, and what's happening with the hangar bay doors? Someone please explain that to me. <laughs> Well, it's the future. You don't need hangar bay doors now. I'm surprised they have any uh, any any sort of exterior to a ship at all. It might as well just be force fields. Right. Am I correct in remembering they had one in season one yes. and it got blown up or something, and they just never replaced it? That, that's my understanding. Yeah, it, it was it, when they brought that whale thing on or, or something. Is in that the, it? When or, mud comes, when mud, when mud yeah, up? maybe. Or was it something else, some giant asteroid or something? I can't remember anymore. Well, Regardless, it occasionally looks weird that this ship has a big opening in the back of it. Yes. And you can just look in and wave. But <laughs> but I think, I mean, post, in a, in, in a universe after the refit, where you don't actually have to keep your nacelles attached to the ship, then it doesn't matter. Absolutely. But before the refit, I feel like, yeah, you guys need, you need a door there, guys. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else to hit on five? I don't. I mean, I don't. Again, I just the USS Nog, so touching. Yes. Um, and how great it is to finally see Starfleet again. And how great think. it was to see them see Starfleet again. It was like little kids in the Christ- <laughs> looking at Christmas windows. And it was delightful. Admiral Vance, as far as like stern admirals go, he he's he was very good. I enjoy him. Yes. I naturally assumed he was going to turn out to be a bad guy. I like just like Starfleet has a thing with bad morals. <laughs> fine. Um, but he might not be a bad guy. Like it might surprise us. Like I'm, think, I'm starting to waver on that. I think the Federation has just become a little more hardened considering their the situation they're in. 
Yeah, but like if it was next gen, it would turn out that like he was the one hoarding all the dilithium all along, and, or he had a, he had know. a squid living in his head. <laughs> yeah, or something like that. Right? There's so many admirals who are, you know, insurrection. Anyway. I mean, I'll, I'll throw this in just for this episode. We were talking, you know, the one of the main reasons he's distrusting them is he does believe that they are time travelers, but that's a problem. And that all stems from the temporal cold war, the enterprise arc where uh, everybody is literally fighting through time. And so they're after that point, they're, they're further in the future um and the temporal accords have been reached so that's the reason they don't immediately just send them back or any other thing because at this point what do you got you got these folks from the from the past but if you could just send the people back and destroy the you keep the sphere data in the future job done right and the spore drive well even even if you couldn't right like if you're past the point of of safe time travel being invented in this future and i think that was the thing uh, the canonical issue that we have to overcome about why the the crew of discoveries in the future and maybe you know they do get back home at the end of the series season but at 32nd century we know that time travel safe time travel has been invented daniels is doing it all the time to go back to the past safely reliably but they they have banned time travel so my guess is that's going to be the final act of mutiny from Michael Burnham is, is sending the crew home. But who knows? We'll see. It's also, I mean, I don't know if it, this is the place to get into it, but it's also worth noting, like, the whole reason of going to the future, like keeping the sphere data away from control, they confirm that they have destroyed control and that problem is solved while the discovery is still en route to the wormhole. Like, it never occurred to them just to be like... They can't be a hundred percent sure. Well, also, yeah. control control is a time traveler, isn't it? Like the, the the issue is is that control was sending things back in time to try and destroy them. That that uh, the, the the weird probe, the modified probe, right? What came from coming the through the wormhole. Yeah. So it's so it yeah it's there's there's wiggle room. I'm just I'm just pointing out like it definitely leaves like. There is room for the ship to, to go back. Yeah, and like things. Well, even if you don't want the ship to go back, there's room for the actors to go back. You can just destroy the ship, especially before the refit. You have every ship. There's always more letters in the alphabet. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You just destroy- All right. Yeah. Argument for another time. Yep. Uh, next episode is episode six. Episode six Scavengers, November 19th. Um, so they're kind of in a good place with Starfleet now, and Starfleet wants them ready to hit a situation that might be blowing up with the Emerald Chain. Um, but Burnham goes to get Book instead. Is that this one? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Um, even though she's not supposed to, she it leads saves his life, and there's a breakout. But she disobeys orders and risks, you know, putting the discovery at risk and putting this critical situation at risk. And then she's really sad about that she did it. And then Saru says she can't be his first officer anymore. It wasn't just to get book though; it was also to get the black box. Right, because she's obsessed with solving the burn. That's that's fair. I mean, I'm with Giorgio where it's, are you sure it's just about the black box and not about the strapping, handsome man that you spent a year with? But, yeah, there's, there's more than one goal there. This was my least favorite episode. Of I think game. that's reasonable. 
I, first of all, why did their only their heads explode? It's a tribute. It's a tribute to Cronenberg. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> and the other, I, I watched carefully the the nacelles um, attach when they when they go through the spore drive, and then yeah, I was I was wondering afterwards. about that. Yeah. <laughs> They make Why? such a big deal that the nacelles don't connect to the ship anymore. And I guess that's a great way of saying, look how futuristic stuff is Why? now. Why? How is that? But yeah. What what possible advantage could exactly. that have? I th- they said something about, I, I think, um, similar to... Through monologues about how it makes them like a more aerodynamic Maneuverability and efficiency in flight. Yeah. Really? They're in space. <laughs> well, Voyager has the tilted nacelles to to center the ship in uh, in the warp bubble uh, while at warp, and then flatten it for uh, flight, presumably for atmospheric flight uh, when not. But it does seem even that doesn't really fly. No, it doesn't. You're right. pun intended, by the way. Yep. So that's yeah. So the, I, mean, I mean, let's not skip over that. Just to make it clear. So the Discovery has now been rebuilt into the Discovery A, and it's now a thirty-second century ship, kinda. Um, the insides don't change much. They make a big deal about how the controls now all use that programmable matter, but we never see it again. They still go back to the same controls, which is fine. I get that those are the controls that they're used to. They probably don't want to to change too much. And and it just makes sense from like a cost saving perspective, you know? Yeah, you have to do a lot of CGI to make those those future displays, like we see on bookship work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everybody gets their new badges, which combines all the Star Trek toys into one. It's a pad and a personal transporter and a communicator. How and does your it know where you want to go? It uh, the same way they always <laughs> knew. How many times did Picard tap his thing and say, "Chief, get him out of there"? Yeah. And O'Brien, who hasn't been watching the show, who's been sitting <laughs> in a little room, is like, "Who? Out of where?" <laughs> I think uh, I think you've discovered perhaps that the, there's some machine learning telepathy things happening here. Uh, and the fish yeah. person can't figure it out. Yeah. Oh, I love Linus. Yeah, and lots. I did like Linus Liner, did, Runner. It had it got a little old. It, it he oh, he keeps beaming into the wrong place. Ha ha ha. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, Linus I is becoming the mourn of the show. I like, yeah yeah he is. I did like it though because you could then have the runner set up to interrupt the kiss at the end. I, I appreciated that you laid that pipe for long enough <laughs> so that, that that gag at the end worked. Yeah. I, I did. I liked it. I thought, you know what? You, 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 it was, it was the beating the dead horse comedy. Like you, you did it, you did it more times than it was funny. So you were starting to get tired of the gag and then you brought the gag back at the right time at the end. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. I don't. You don't have to uh, agree with me. I. I. But. Uh, but there it is. No. No. I'm saying. I'm convinced. Like. Yeah. I do see how that makes sense. But why so, do it at all? I thought it was a good gag. I thought it was. A no. 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 I mean, interrupt the kiss. Like. Because the show is all about like the dramatic tension and emotions bouncing. Not around. a lot of dramatic tension there. Like, yeah. They have I mean, no idea that they're going to end up together, right? <laughs> but, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I knew they were going to end up together about 20 minutes into the first episode. As soon as he took his shirt off. 
what I, I hope I hope that, that it's I mean like you know we get we get a little bit more in, uh, in the last episode uh, in episode eight about him which uh, which is good but again if, because we don't get the year we don't know whether this is their first business or this is like this is the will they won't they on again off again thing that's been going for a year who you know I mean no, Gargo, I got the impression that they weren't anything until then. Right, so that's the impression, but because we didn't get that year, we didn't get anything in that year. We don't know. We don't know. I, I mean, hey, listen. She was a courier. She left the, being a courier to go back to Discovery, but now books on board again. I mean, presumably she didn't just do the one job saving the transform at the beginning. Oh, of no, Vulcan. they had all kinds of they, they had all kinds of capers. So we don't know. That's that's the problem with us not knowing is we have to I'm imagine. And look, I'm sure there's going to be a novel for every day of that year. So she even says to I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Desiree. The things that I have done, yeah. they're going to come up. I think there's something's going to come sure. back to bite her. So I, I'm not the ship guy, but I feel like this is a, as good a time as any to talk about books ship. What do we make of it being a transformer? That was cool. I mean, it fits in with the programmable matter. Yeah. Like and it's, it detachable yeah. everything. Like, I mean, it raises those questions. Again, it's like, that's what I want to know about. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, and I get it. In my case, like, I've always been the ship guy. But, like, I want to know how the technology works. What can those ships do? If they're all, like, individual modular parts, like, can they... I mean, it's a heck with saucer separation. Like, can the ship reconfigure itself at will? Can it rebuild itself and be really fast and sleek? And then, like, update and change its matter to suddenly become a big, heavy warship and then go back into a... Like, there's so many cool things. And we just get these little hints of it, and that's so frustrating to a guy like it's me. it's so expensive to do. <laughs> I'm the, the practical character guy, and I can't imagine how frustrating it would be to wake up every morning and not know how to find your way to the kitchen or the the bridge or whatever, because well, the ship's working anywhere. You tap your chest a couple of times, you beam <laughs> into the turbo lift, you interrupt somebody kissing, and you... <laughs> I mean, that you're where you need to be. It's a cargo ship, right? So mostly, it's going to be reconfiguring the cargo pace. Well, it's a cargo ship the way the Millennium Falcon is played, <laughs> yeah. which we've talked about on the show before. But so yeah. it's a cargo ship that's super fast and nimble and it's heavily armed, yeah. awesome in every way. So eh. yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So um, this episode also. Also introduces our, our uh, Andorian friend who's become a member of the crew, basically, going forward. Uh, any thoughts on him, uh, Mr. Tilly? What did the antenna do? That he's lost them now, but what were they They for? were sensory, right? Yeah, yeah, because when when Tran loses one, um, he has trouble balancing for a while. And they also react to their, like, emotions, and they definitely communicate with them. So, it, it's, so it's, this is... It's an extra it's century. century they can't replace them. Honestly, I think that they haven't tried yet because uh, Shrans, Flock says Shrans will grow back in in six to nine months. Uh, but my guess is that uh, Osira is cutting them off and keeping them cut off. Uh, ah. 
but the, so now that he's free from the chain, maybe we'll see them start to come back. Yeah, now that and now that they have access to thirty-second century medicine and someone who would like them to grow back, perhaps yeah, they would they would okay. grow back quickly. I like the character. I think I I hope they use him more. Yeah, I feel like we don't really know him yet, other than he ha- he's a MacGuffin. All right. Well, I mean, I want to spend another half hour talking about the discovery A and all the tiny little details that have changed and all the, like, it seems like maybe it doesn't have a deflector dish and maybe there's something painted on the underside. I have many questions, but I think the short version of that discussion is we just haven't seen enough of it. We don't know enough to know exactly what it can do yet. I just, I want to see a cool new ship and I'm disappointed that we haven't. I'm glad they took the things out of uh, Stamets' arms. Yeah, there's that. So that's good. I feel I feel like that saves us twenty minutes of podcasting time just by saying we want to see more. We're very curious, right? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Fair oh, enough. Saru actually removes uh, Michael's title uh, uh, as punishment at the end of this episode, right? Which is good because I feel like often uh, we were getting off, you know, throughout, you know, Star Trek history, you know, you. you there weren't a lot of demotions and, and, and formal reprimands with emotional weight. I didn't necessarily buy, like, I bought Saru's speech, but I didn't buy Burnham's re- recovery from it. So I don't know. Or her crying. Well, I bought the acting, but I don't know, you know, it's, oh, I, I didn't why like the scene. Crying? Well, it's. She let him down. She, she yeah. Hurt him. But she knew that when she did it, she made yeah, that decision. If, if, have you never done anything bad? At the, at the yeah, time? come the on. <laughs> Seemed right, and then later you go, well, okay, maybe not. Or, or even if you did do something and you knew there'd be consequences, it doesn't mean that you're emotionally immune from the consequences. Right. Yeah. yeah okay. I'm, I'm a monster. I guess. <laughs> I, I also I, really like the fact that the admiral wasn't just. You were insubordinate. He also said to Saru, why didn't you at least tell me about it? Like, if I'd have known that this was uh, an option, maybe I would have considered it. Yeah. Uh, kind of like uh, uh, in Best of Both Worlds with um, uh, yes, Shelby. With, with the, this Borg specialist. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's, uh, let's move on to um, the next episode, shall we? Yes. Yeah, sure. Episode 7. Next episode. Unification 3, which is such a fun title for so many reasons that we're about to obsess over. (laughs) November 26th, Part 3 of Unification, a two-parter from Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, To find more information about the the burn, she wants to access a a science project called SB19, um, but they can't because that data is being hoarded by the Vulcans and the Romulans, who, in the last 900 years, have finally unified. Uh, They are now living together on Vulcan, formerly called Vulcan, now called Nivar. Um, So good. So so delicious, that that Trek lore. Um, Yeah, exactly. It's finally using Trek lore properly. Exactly. Um, they get there. Um, they don't want to give Burnham the SB19 data because they don't trust the Federation uh, because they blame the SB19 project, which is basically man-made wormholes. Um, is man-made speciesist? Is there a better yes. word for that? <laughs> okay. Artificial. Uh, sentient being made wormholes. Artificial. Um, 
they think that that's what caused the burn, and they're upset with the Federation for like encouraging them to do it. It's a whole thing them to do it. So Burnham invokes an ancient Vulcan like ritual of like trial by science philosophy. Which is, again, it's so in keeping with, with traditional Trek, where it's like anytime there's a problem, they just invent a new Vulcan thing. And yep, they have a sure. gong. <laughs> and they have a gong. have a gong. And, and then Burnham's mom shows up again, who's been missing since season two, and now she's a Romulan warrior nun, the same ones from Picard. Which um, I thought was a nice use of new continuity as well. I didn't. Yeah. I don't know if I needed to see Burnham's mom again. I I don't need her. I don't think absolutely everything in the galaxy has to be a Burnham family problem. I didn't need her to arrive like that. I felt like that was a hat on a hat. You need one or the other, uh, but you didn't need both. Anyway, they they dig into Burnham for a while, and through this trial, the only way to solve it is for her to like deal with her emotions and because she does deal with her emotions the president of Vulcan gives her the data. You know what? I'm sorry but that last part ruined the episode for me. I loved everything else about the episode but I thought I was watching an episode of Dr. Phil at that point. (laughs) Finally had that breakthrough. (laughs) It's like the entire, this, this thing that has kept the Vulcan Romulans and the Federation apart for 100 years is solved by Burnham admitting that she has uncertainty. And I didn't I even was... follow the argument. I honestly, I watched it twice. I still can't figure out what she was getting at. How it wasn't yeah. relevant to the argument for the Vulcans and the Romulans, that she didn't fit into the Federation anymore. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like the intention was that she was had to show them pure, actual honesty. That was the intention. And from a writing perspective, it's very challenging to say, okay, well, how am I going to set up a character that has to, who has a goal and the outcome has to be achieved by real honesty and have it feel natural? And that's very difficult. And it's even more difficult when you layer on these bizarre... But why would you do that? You, it's... It, I agree. I, I as a writer, like, why would your decision be the key to the trial is opening yourself up? That's not how this works. <laughs> like the 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 council would have been like, okay, great, that's cool. We're glad you're dealing with your issues. Um, this is still a big like scientific real world problem. I agree completely. I think the the idea was that that was meant to mirror the motivations of the federation is that they they are selfish. They are uh, go. They do want the SB19 data, and they don't know what they're going to do when they get it. You, you have to trust the Federation. You, you, Navar, the Navarians, the the Romulans and the Vulcans. Neither of them really know why they need to trust the Federation. They don't. But the Romulan wants to, and the Vulcan doesn't. I found that interesting. Well, that, that See, that, I love that. And there's so many hints there. Like they talk about how like one of them has insurrections in his district. And like it's it's so it's so tasty how they're dropping these hints. Like what's going on on this unified Vulcan Romulan thing? I want to learn so much more about that. Yeah. Well, but instead the episode was about Burnham being honest with herself. And I like that highlights to me my problem with this show. Like it's that it's it, the stuff that I want is constantly put in the background. Yeah. And the stuff that's in the foreground is fine. It's acted well, 
but it's but it's not what I ordered. Yeah, if they could have gotten Saru into a room with those three people to make a, a diplomatic argument and have that win as well, or Saru being able to diplomatically solve a Romulan Vulcan problem and have that gain the trust to get this SB19 data. Uh, that would have been far better for me. Burnham, I mean, I, we understand Burnham's relationship with Vulcan is very complicated, relevant to this conversation. But at the same time, I feel like this is this is an opportunity for the diplomat. This is an opportunity. And, and she's not a good diplomat. No, she's no, not at all. I mean, the 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 stuff about how Vulcans related to the Federation or to humans felt very much like the way they were relating in Enterprise as well. The first right, they started seasons, out hostile. The first three seasons of, of Enterprise, Vulcans are an antagonistic force in that show. They are literally, they're not literally villains, but they're very much antagonistic. And this felt... Yeah, they are opposed to the interests of our heroes. So, and they're holding them back. And this is exactly the same position, which felt relevant again so there's another this is like this is an episode written by star trek fans but it was still like it's still a michael burnham show and and i think i think this is the this is one of those episodes where it felt like there's another way at this you can either get at this at the end and do some other stuff in this episode or something the other one and this is i felt sort of in the the sort of five six and seven where it was so much music in the episode. <laughs> and and it was, I haven't gone back and timed it, but it felt like it was always music. Like we were always in music, which A, is not like other Star Trek shows. Other Star Trek shows, it's, it's in and out of scenes. You know, it's... When- when they managed to get the the Raiders and the Earth people to start talking to each other, did you hear the Star Trek theme start to well up in the background? I did. Yeah, I think I think that's an appropriate use of it, and that's sort of how like past shows would have used it too. The music is there to sort of emphasize these key points. Yeah. But yeah, in Discovery, I feel it's like someone's waving a flag, saying like, "You should feel about this. This is very emotional." Like. <laughs> all the time and maybe it's just because people on the show are crying all the time and it's starting to run me a little ragged but it just like it's it when the music starts up my reaction is one of exhaustion yeah it's too much music and it's it's i don't know if it's too loud or too busy as well but it's it's it just seems to be we're getting we're getting the emotional cue from the music before we're getting it from the acting before we're getting it from the the dialogue it's, it seems to be going on constantly. As a, a kind of a counterpoint to all the previous stuff, I, as much as I understand that from a plotting and story perspective, what Burnham did didn't really make sense for why how it changed the minds of any of the people and got them the SB19 data. But I did, from a purely emotional standpoint, I enjoyed that arc of, of her and Burnham's arc in the episode, and I it made sense to have her mom there, and, and also they used the Kowat Malat stuff to, to make all of that work, I felt. Even... It, it worked for her story in a way that it didn't work for the, you know, the actual plot and the it logic of the world. brought back the principles of the Federation. She said, fine, then forget it. We won't take the data. You, yeah. You, give it to us. Don't give it to us. Whatever. 
but yeah, it was a good moment you. for the Michael Burnham show. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, since that's what this is, it was a good since moment for the show. Sure, I just I find it so frustrating because I wanted to see more. I mean, I wanted to see more in this case specifically of Saru and President Vulcan. Like they right. had like a cool relationship going on. And, and where she says like like this has been different than I expected, and there's a pause that that was a compliment. Yes. I, I she, also... she, and, she and Saru just get each other in a way. Like, man, I wish they leaned into that. A romance? Uh, <laughs> not, not even. Just Saru is the perfect figure to be the negotiator, right? He's yeah. the one to be Mr. Starfleet. Let, I, I, okay, I, before we beat that dead horse, let's just let Jesse have his time yelling about Tilly being the first officer. And it's not just me, it's Dave, uh, No, too. I, I, I agree, too. I think it's really dumb, but, you know. Tilly can't be the first officer that's ridiculous. Um, it's completely unbelievable in how they've written the character and how they've written the story arc. Um, there's absolutely no way anybody on that ship should be comfortable with that decision <laughs> and no way that Saru so should have made it. you did buy the say yes ceremony? No, God. I, I did. I, I, I bought that because I, I once the decision is made, like I, I totally yeah. understand that the the characters are going to rally, but she's I don't. Geniality. Yeah. So, and I do. She seems scattered, but I bet she can actually write a schedule and and run a per- performance <laughs> well, review. Like I think in the next episode. Exactly, but that's that's not first officer. That's executive assistant, and that's a yeah, different yeah. role. The what she is yeoman. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, it's it it is aspects of the the exo's role for sure. But like, I don't buy her being able to take over the bridge in in a crisis. That is, I that but she was Captain Bad. What was it? She Killy. was the terror. Killy. Captain Killy. Yeah. In the mirror Captain universe. Killy. Right. So yeah, Mir, yeah, you sure that would have been fun, but that's not who this is. Yeah. This is a character that was they've spent three seasons showing us, like only made it because she's eccentric. Okay, but like, remember this: she told Saru the truth. She said, "You have to tell the admiral about right," which Burnham. is the only thing she does, and which is she why she tells she gets off Burnham at the end of this episode. She tells off Burnham. Yeah, yeah. I I, I, I agree and, that she did that, but I don't. I, what I what I I still don't think that that makes her I'm ready trying. for <laughs> it, it just doesn't make sense that an ensign would be first officer and and you've got you set up that uh lieutenant whatever lieutenant blonde who used to play arium i Nielsen. literally Nilsson. yeah right she I, I know it's probably pejorative and derogatory to call her lieutenant blonde but she's the only blonde person on the show and Except for Stamets, and she she doesn't seem to have a character other than just being and we've there. We've seen her like you know, Nilsson. You have the con. Yeah, right? we've she's, seen her do that before. She seems to be third in command. So okay, but Tilly's only temporary first officer. Oh sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I just I feel like if I were her, I'd be like, what? What? I outrank her. I'm already third officer. I'm the one who takes over the ship when everyone else leaves. I'm getting bypassed for the first officer job by this ensign? Uh, poor, poor Harry Kim spinning in his grave. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and so... Okay, so... I, I don't know if there's anything more to be said about that. Do we want to move on? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, episode eight, the the most recent one we've seen at the time of this recording, the Sanctuary, um, December third. Um, they have to go back to Book's home planet to fight the Emerald Chain, and Book has a brother he doesn't get along with, and but they do manage to get along in the end, just in time. And, all, um, all I really have to say about this episode is that the guy they got to play his brother is a terrible actor. Yep. Yeah. He was uh, brutal. And I assumed it was like he learned his lines phonetically right before they shot. I, I assumed it was going to be for the combat work, the but that wasn't even that great either. So it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get this episode. The reason for this episode. I mean, this episode ends where they escalate things with the Emerald Chain. Like, now the Emerald Chain and the Federation are going to have to fight. Um, and we also gets see... over PTSD. Yes, and Detmer decides not to have PTSD anymore, <laughs> which I wanted to come back to. I'm really hoping that this isn't the end of it. Like, the next few episodes have to have her still dealing with it. If their portrayal of PTSD is that all Detmer needed to get over it was to, like, Think positive about it and go have fun. I'm going to be furious. Like, that is going to be such a misrepresentation of mental illness. It is genuinely offensive. And that's weird for me to say because I'm the kind of person who uses that way to describe, like, ship refits. But, (laughs) I mean, seriously, I feel like that is, that it, like, what they have shown to happen to her in this episode is doing a huge disservice to people who actually suffer through this. Okay, well, let's... Yeah, they may not... Just, yeah, let's wait and see. There could be more. There could be more, but I am real nervous about it. Can you please explain to me what happened with that piece of music turning into a Starfleet emergency signal? Ah, uh, yeah. So they know the burn comes from this nebula, and there's a signal coming out of it. And that signal... like It's a distress signal, but it also contains a song. So and that song... Or the one turned into the other? What it can, like, apparently, Starfleet distress signals always have embedded data in them, like to tell you more, I oh, guess. It's sending the song out? Yeah. Oh. So there's a Starfleet something in that nebula which is sending that song out. I'm guessing that it's it's Burnham and or Discovery in there. Feature. because Or Veecher. No, I, I'm thinking it's Discovery. Maybe it's Discovery from Calypso somehow because of time travel shenanigans. But I mean, everything that happens in this galaxy is Burnham's, Burnham's fault. So it's got to be her who caused the burn somehow. So we're going to find out about that. But everyone apparently knows this song because the signal has been transmitted uh-huh. through the galaxy and maybe also is connected to the burn or whatever well, started with the burn. Yeah, it's that's coming weird. from the same place that the burn came from. So it's probably been permeating the, gal- the, the galaxy for the last hundred years or however, you know. I can buy it. It like it, it doesn't stand a close inspection, but it's sci-fi enough that I can. But okay, I get it. Yeah. Okay, and so where? Why did they make Gray disappear? Why have him appear mysteriously and now have him disappear? So I think what we're dealing with here, and I uh, we don't know, was we're dealing we're meant to be dealing with sort of the issues with Trill being implanted in a human, but we may also be dealing with. Adira and how they are relating to their new environment and and all that sort of stuff. But we really don't know. Like, it's like, yeah, this is a big why. And this is is one of the sort of more general issues I'm having with this show is you've got way too many threads 
yeah. and not enough episodic. So you've got all these bits. Like, you did contain unification in an episode where, you know, okay, great. But you get all these little bits. And why did, why did we get Adira little bit here? And then the last time we saw Adira do anything, you know, useful was four episodes ago. You've, you've overwritten this show. You've got too many ideas, especially because you want it to be the Michael Burnham show for whatever reason. Right? Like, if just relax. Just do the other characters. You could do... I'd love to see a story from beginning, middle, and end, which is an episode. Yeah. yeah. Now let's, New worlds, hopefully. Now, again, I just want to, like, dip my foot in that water again. I mean, one of the reasons to have Adira... And in this episode, this is where we have both pronoun conversations, oh, right? yes. This is where... So, she, so Adira, they now explain that, that they don't want to be a she. They want to be a they. And they explain it, and Stamets says, okay. And then we have sort of this homey scene where you have Culber and Stamets, this gay couple, expressing parental feelings to their non-binary sort of adopted child, kind of. And they have a little sort of, a, like not exactly a meet-cute, but just like a cute little family scene between the three of them, uh, which we know that some people are super excited about the way they play it off, like it's completely normal. Um, but the way it was written, it's clearly there to make a point. Um, they they make the point of saying that it's the future. We're not like we're not afraid of this stuff anymore. It's not hurting anybody. We're totally able like to handle it like normal people. Um, and maybe it sounds cynical, but that's really the reason Adira was in this episode. Yeah, it's tricky because yeah, how do you do how do you do naturalized representation, right? Like. You know, they, they they had to they had to work out a way to get Kirk and O'Hara to kiss. Like they had to f- write that into a story. And when we look back at it, like okay, you know, they they took away the agency of the characters in order to get the to make it so more palatable to put on screen. Uh, but man, is it painful to watch now? Man, is it painful to watch now? So. So, I mean, we, we're looking at this and going, this is awkwardly written and awkwardly injected into the show. But I think it's important. Oh, do, do you watch Shit's Creek, anybody? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, the whole, the whole theme behind that show was that, Dave, that Dan, um, David and Patrick's romance was just what it was. Nobody reacted to it. It wasn't constantly causing an issue. It just existed. Right, but it took us and this Will is and the Grace and century. We're it, talking it, about the year thirty-two something, and they're still awkward. Well, it's still TV, but just yeah. And it took us Will and Grace and Queer Eye for the Straight Guy and all these other shows before we could get to a place where where it is treated as just a regular thing yeah. on Shit's Creek. This is the first time there's been any sort of real non-binary characters so everyone's finding their footing the moment is what i'm saying right well they they want yeah they shouldn't have to but we do have to like in the perfect world it wouldn't matter but it's not a perfect yeah i think the people who uh who are non-binary want to see their representation as well and yeah okay so it was for us we were saying okay this feels awkward and forced but at the same time let's have let's have positive representation that's probably you know, that's a best case scenario coming out story for someone who wants to come out as non-binary. And, and 
and I and I imagine that not everybody's coming out as non-binary, coming out as trans, is nearly as 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 gentle and 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 comfortable a conversation. Uh, I I don't know if this is just me being I don't know being antiquated or whatever, but if anything, I found the way she talked with Stamus about it, it felt unnecessarily aggressive. But maybe I'm just reading into it too much. It was just like out of the blue. She's like, "I'm, I'm day now," and she was just. It felt very confrontational, and and he no, I, played I felt it off like really well. Felt comfortable enough with him to tell him. Yeah, okay. I, maybe I was just misreading it then. Yeah, I put. I don't know if that was. I don't know how. Oh, sorry, he they what? Yeah, yeah. It's difficult, and I mean, that's part of what we're learning. Right? Yeah. So, I th- uh, my under- my feeling from watching that was that was like. Uh, meant to be an explosion of an emotion, just just sort of not handled well. Like it's like, uh, mm. uh, do I want to say it? Do I want to say it? Right. Do I want to? Because it, I mean, if I I have never had to come out, but I would imagine it's it, you're like you're probably second guessing up until the last possible second about what you, whether you want to do it. So right. it may feel aggressive. I don't, you know, I'm not sure that the. Like that's the take they chose, and and that's the way they wanted to rep- represent it. But uh, you know, there are probably other directions, other ways to do that scene. Whether it's all tender, I you know, and, and to your it scene, just wasn't well written. Yeah, and, and to your point, Zinni, the the stuff with Gray being well, at least the the assumption is that that's a trans character, but they haven't made a deal of it at all. It's not no. addressed, and and so that is closer to what you're looking exactly. for, right? Yeah. And I, I think that's been handled fairly well too. I, I don't know if they'll get into it, and I don't know that they need to. But it's it's uh, an interesting having both happening in the same show is, is interesting. And just to bring the discussion back around, I mean, I think it's clearly the most interesting thing that happened in this episode. Like, is there anything else anyone wants to talk about about well, the this episode? Word for Saru. Oh, yeah. God. Swing and a miss on a joke that Lower Decks already did better. Yeah. <laughs> what a weird way to open the episode. Yeah. I did not. Yeah. I. I there were, you know, execute is the better option for sure. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, here we are. The idea being that Saru doesn't know what to say, like like the way Picard said engage. Yeah. He doesn't have a thing. And Pike said it. It's played off as funny. And it and okay, I can see how it could be funny because I saw the joke done really well on Lower yeah. Decks four or five months ago. Oh, go on Twitter and, and the... take a look at what people are suggesting. It's hilarious. <laughs> I'm not a big Twitter guy. That's but uh <laughs> But yeah, the, the warp me joke in Lower Decks, which took place over what six episodes, yeah. I think, was a riot. Like that was executed so well. And in this case, it I mean because it's a joke we already heard, we're already confirmed. But it's also just so out of place. Like nothing else in this episode was really funny. Like it wasn't. It, you know, this this is not Lower Decks. This is this is more serious business. Are crying all the time, not laughing. Oh, and also, I, yeah, Tilly. All of it, did they just rewrite her character? Oh yeah, Tilly got super. Apparently, when you get nominated first officer, there is actually a surgical like Im, like they they implant a spine. They just totally rewrote her character. Yeah, no. Now she's super tough and like, authoritative. Yeah, Rick walks into the room and she says, "No, no, 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 no. You speak with respect." Like, who the hell are you? <laughs> the the girl who hides behind the bar. Yeah. 
Yeah. And yeah, I, I'm still not getting first officer Tilly at all. Yeah. So so there's a lot in this episode, and there's a lot, and I think it's all script. Like I think I think because that doesn't feel like correct characterization for her, and I think we all agree. And and I you know there's other things too, like the the the, the stuff we actually you know we put um, we put Giorgio in the medical lab and and are trying to figure out what's happening with her. Yeah, what's she seeing? What is that knife? What's the emblem? Do we know? Was yeah, the emblem to tear an empire. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and we see in a, like we've seen shots of her ship, like the Chiron blowing up, which is weird. But, she's, but, it's, is she but it's mostly her or, over a body. Or, yeah, is um, she doing the killing, or is she finding the body? I, I mean, I gotta assume this is. But did she, did she kill Burnham? I think that's what's yeah. happening. I think because we know that alternate universe Burnham betrayed her, yeah. um, and she's claimed that she's killed her. Yeah. But we don't know if we can take anything. She's, I think that it's she's like these flashes are her killing you know, her basically her daughter, yeah. and she's having trouble processing it uh, for for reasons we'll have to see. Maybe it's just like she's growing a conscience. I don't know. It's clearly more complicated than that. There's clearly like a sci-fi medical thing going on. Um, but that seems to be like she's being traumatized by these memories that normally wouldn't have bothered her. Yeah. Okay, so she's turning into like she's losing her Terranness and becoming yeah maybe she's been here too long maybe yeah I the other thing I mean the problem I had with this stuff was other than getting Colber involved in what's happening to Giorgio we did not move this forward we we did not learn anything else about it other than it's it's getting worse it's getting worse. And now we know that's the focus of the next episode. Right. We've seen that in previews and stuff. So by the time you're hearing this, you know more about this than we do. So the other thing that happens in this episode is that, yeah, so the Federation attacks the Emerald Chain, even though they didn't because they used the other ship. Like, who's going to believe that, first of all? Exactly. A, like, okay, maybe you can get away with that in a in the context of to like a legal yeah, legal courtroom, but not with a mostly criminal organization. Why even bother? Other than now we have uh, Detmer quote uh, recovered or at least whatever that's happened there. Which again, I agree with Jesse. If this is if she has finished her recovery simply by making the choice to finish her recovery, then 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 all the work they did on this uh, mental illness arc is thrown out the window unless we are to believe that they did a bunch of work a bunch of counseling work off screen and we don't believe we don't believe that well here's what i believe again and i'm gonna go back i said this before but all these episodes feel like they were 55 minutes cut down to 44 minutes right like i i think they may have lifted the arc out entirely and and i feel like that about the whole thing there's other aspects why did gray disappear maybe there's that's addressed at some point you know like this this whole thing feels like there's missing information missing arc everybody's character seems like a jump tilly is another example so tilly decides to become first officer and then over the course of our one episode becomes a person with authority and and spine and that doesn't you know there's missing information there. So at some point, I feel like there's missing information 
to get to where we are for the course of the season. So I wonder if this season has been trimmed in to, to get them into 44 minutes. Also, why is everybody so unhappy with the Federation? Everybody like where, where he's, you want to scare a kid, you tell them they have to go to Federation summer camp. What's the Federation been doing before the burn that everybody mm. hates them so much? Yeah, see, and I don't know if that's, like, there's a big reveal coming, and it's evil Admiral Vance, and the Federation are actually the bad guys now, or if it's just that it hasn't been written very well. Or is it that this is is the story that's being told inside the Emerald Chain just to create animosity? Well, but every but the Vulcans, the trail, like nobody's part of the Federation anymore. Nobody wants the Federation around. No one's happy when they show up. Yeah. Something. I mean, well, the Vulcans think that the Federation caused the burn. Okay, that that is addressed, but nobody else. Well, it's sort of addressed because she comes and says, oh, no, we can prove that they didn't. And their answer is, well, we don't want your proof. It's fake news. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, like, what were they doing? What happened to the Federation even before the burn? That's a good question. Yeah. And, again, I don't know if that's supposed to be set up because there are other things in Discovery we've talked about that don't make sense either from the last few seasons, and they just have been left off the, the chart as not making sense, and you that's been that. like, ten seasons based on these storylines. Well, it's like how, how they were clearly, or it, at least to our expectation anyway, they were setting up the control to be the Borg in some way. Yes. And then right. the season ended, and it was like, nope, they no, were just they really <laughs> close to the Borg, but weren't the Borg. Yeah, they were no-name brand Borg. So, on the other hand, season one, Captain Lorca, terrible Starfleet captain. We were all saying, there's no way that's a Starfleet captain. That's ridiculous. Have they ever seen Star Trek? And then they dropped the, well, actually, he's a mirror universe guy. So, that did turn out to have an explanation. That's true. So, it could go either way. I bring this up mostly just to point out that I called it, and I'm still very proud of that. Many episodes before the reveal. As soon as the light-sensitivized thing happened. Oh, for sure. But, like, way before that, I call I, Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So, episodes 9 and 10, uh, Terra Firma, part 1 and 2. Do we do we want to talk about this as one episode, or do we or do we think there's enough differences between the two that we should break it up? No, I think it's one. I think it's... I think, I mean... It really, it's one story for sure. Yeah, it's the taming of Philippa Giorgio. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so quick summary before we get going. Um, Giorgio is, her, so her condition is being caused by the fact that she's from an alternate universe and the far distant past. And now that's like, and sci-fi reasons that she can't live like that. Uh, the sphere data in Discovery helps them find a, quote, cure, unquote, where they go to a mysterious planet and find a mysterious dude who sends Giorgio apparently back in time and back to her universe. So she's back in as the Emperor, and it's a mirror universe episode. Um, meanwhile, Discovery is still hunting for the origins of the burn. They find out that there's a Kelpian ship. Something's up to no good there. It's made Saru a little uncomfortable, but what can you do? In the meantime, we see over the course of both these episodes, Giorgio is less Terran than she used to be. She's sort of learned how to be a bit of a better person by living in the Prime Universe. She wants to try and do the Empire better, uh, mostly be better by her adopted daughter, the Mirror Burnham, who doesn't take too well to it, and Giorgio ends up having to kill her anyway. 
Um, we then go back to the weird dude who reveals, at shock of shocks, he is the guardian of the city on the edge of forever um, from the original series episode, which I'm sure we'll be discussing in detail in just a moment. Yep. Uh, <laughs> who tested her to find out that, yes, he can send her safely back to the past without her becoming space Hitler or anything. And she leaves. And then the Discovery crew is super sad about it, as is their want. <laughs> Uh, and then Booker helps them solve Discovery, helps them solve the problem with trying like learn a little bit more about the nebula, a tiny little bit more. Uh, he gets a sort of Google Wi-Fi HomePod from the Emerald Chain, which makes Admiral Vance uncomfortable, but it works. And now they have more information. I guess we'll find out more about that later. And Giorgio is successfully back piloted backdoor piloted uh, for her own show, which will be coming later. Except it's not really a backdoor pilot. No, but you know it, it safely ejects her to. And puts uh, to her in her a position pilot. where they can have a show. Yeah, yeah. It was that was you know this struck me as odd was like you had a pre-announced show which so we know this is happening. I guess you have to watch the show and assume that you don't know that this is happening. But it was a uh, okay. Here's how we get her back into the place that we're going to have a show. Yeah, I, I spent two hours doing it. Like it was, uh, like it, this was definitely a lot of Michelle Yeoh, right? Like this was her, like if not an audition, this was her commercial for "Come Watch My Show." Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna yeah. miss her. I'm gonna yeah, miss yeah. Her on the show. She she definitely grew on me as it went on, and and she was she was good as a snarky supporting character who would show up. It'll be interesting. Like I guess this demonstrated that she can handle a lead role in this character. Without it being Never tiresome, or yeah, um, it was also a lot of fun for the the rest of the cast who got to play super evil versions of themselves, and they brought back some people who got to cameo who hadn't been there for a while. Like I think the security officer from season one under Landry, Lorca. yeah, Landry yeah. was very briefly there, and uh, the both Ariums were back, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. I have a lot. I have a lot of um, notes made about uh, callouts, but my favorite uh, callout was a callout to the J.J. Abrams timeline. Yes, right, right. Yeah, at the start of the first one, they yeah. do. I, I like that. That's sort of unified now, right? Like they're now in the future of both timelines. Yep. Mm -hmm. like it's all under one hood. That feels very comfortable. Well, and uh, Picard established that as well, right? Did they? Yeah. Well, that's why they had to evacuate Romulus. Well, well, we but, yeah, well, we know that Romulus blows up. That happened in the in the the prime timeline. But the fact that what's his name Nero Nero that's exactly. it. I was going to yeah. say Roman guy Nero went back in time and created the JJ verse like that wasn't acknowledged in Picard. No, that's true. But in this one, Cronenberg is just like yeah yeah. There's a JJ verse out there, and uh, and we're past that now because of temporal because the temporal cold war is a thing of the past. But it it's still its own separate thing, right? Like they didn't they they didn't glue the timelines back together somehow. No, no. no they was okay. as another timeline. They right, also right. did a, a call back to what I think is mirror Spock, where the just the fact that Giorgio has become a better person takes me back to that original uh, Star Trek episode, where in the end of the mirror universe, Spock says, "Maybe you guys are right. Maybe we do need to make some changes." Yeah, yeah. which of course leads to the fall of the Terran Empire. And we all see how that turns out in the DS9 versions <laughs> of the Mirror Universe. Because they actually refer to it directly in here. Yeah, the Coalition was from DS9, right? Yeah. So, and in the, addition to that... The, the Klingon-Cardassian alliance is DS9. But, 
the, the coalition we've heard of before, but I think it might still be pretty discovery heavy. Like that might be Lorca stuff. Yeah, that rebellion is a rebellion against the uh, Kardashian Klingon alliance. No, but what I was talking about is in that episode when we 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 learn about the mirror universe that we learn that when Spock goes back, uh, that he causes the collapse of the Terran Empire. Yeah, he tries to he tries to remake it into the Federation, but right. it's not. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't work yeah. there. Anyway, so on the whole, what did you what did you guys think? I mean, I mean, well, heck, I'll start. I mean, I thought the first one was a little campy, but it was also kind of supposed to be. So that's uh, you know, everyone in the black latex and the like mustache twirling was a lot a little much. I thought the even the music. Oh, yeah, the play was a little much, but I, I actually liked part two a lot better than part one. Um, I thought that Sonika Martin Green as evil Burnham and Giorgio as coming to terms with herself Giorgio was actually a, a fairly accomplished bit of acting. Like I was, I was really impressed with the way that you know that the change in the Burnham character and the resulting change in Giorgio worked out. I was kind of into that. Yeah, I, I thought so too. I thought, I mean, what, one of the things that finally felt like it wasn't the Michael Burnham show. Then I was like, oh, yeah. this is uh, breath of change just to begin with and also we're doing the mirror universe which i can take or leave but i think i was more interested in the fact that it wasn't as we previously discussed the michael burnham show for for 90 minutes a couple yeah. hours yeah. can i two nitpicky questions i have which happens more than once why are they why are they always worried about discovery being somewhere else in case they're needed when they have a spore drive and can come back instantly is it because they might not be able to call them? Like, is it a communication distance thing? I, I Is that ever been a problem? It's pretty hand wavy with a in Star Trek. They call it subspace radio. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it takes time for a message to get somewhere. And sometimes it's just they're on FaceTime from halfway across the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I don't I don't think that's like we have a. a I don't think we have a, something we can rely on to say that technically. But, I mean, you know, the further away there are, the more likely things can go wrong. It doesn't seem to matter, especially now, though, because he's talking to Vance in real time, and this is supposed to be on the edge of the Gamma Quadrant. Well, he's supposed to be pretty far away. Yeah, we have a rough approximation of the location of, of Starfleet's, like, hidden headquarters, and it's still... It's still Alpha Quadrant, so they're so yeah, they're talking to each other at least in live over at least a quarter of the galaxy. So let's go with no. Um, so who knows? They're just they're really antsy about discovery. Yeah, I think I, <laughs> I think they're the the they're worried about discovery losing discovery because it's the only advantage they have. Right. But I don't know. Like we're totally leaving off the hook the fact that yeah, like. Actually, the best place would be not where your fleet is. <laughs> that was... So what was your other nitpick? Oh, the other thing was, and this happens in all of the Star Treks, is the sphere data beams them down to the core, to, to the planet, and then makes them walk, and then they have to walk. for an hour. <laughs> yeah. Just send them where you want them to go. <laughs> Well, you well, had to give have time to talk. That's the yeah. problem. <laughs> I think this was meant to mirror the beginning of the first episode when they're walking on that desert planet. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, yeah, so Burnham's last conversation with two Georgios now has been, you know, maybe you have Captain in you after all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
so yeah, there's a television reason for that, but not really a sci-fi reason. Yeah, it definitely could have just beamed them down where they were supposed to be. But uh, I guess the the television or the sci-fi reason or the you know whatever reason could be that the the sphere data it has a personality the guardian of forever has a personality maybe there there was some reason they wanted that walk to happen like it's not uh-huh. just a computer being like beam down here it's like they these people need to have a journey before they find carl <laughs> good old Which carl. still sounds yeah. like a writing reason but i know what you mean like it's it's yeah it's justifiable enough yeah like once there's a personality involved behind the 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 Minds sending them someplace, it's it becomes a little more abstract. Yeah, this, mm, fair. This personality, though, this sort of this sort of infinite knowledge of the sphere data that is now benevolent and is now merged with the AI of discovery seems like it's this is a trap for the writers for sure because you're gonna have you're gonna have plot holes a mile high that the sphere data should be able to answer. But they just don't. Or save them. Yeah, we're gonna have we're gonna have all kinds of you know. Just ask the computer. Computer knows everything now. Computer knows where this you know omniscient, uh, uh, ultra powerful time travel door being is, and can if he if if he wanted to be hidden from the universe, and the sphere knows where he is. So what else does the sphere know? The sphere should know everything at this point. But it's only willing to share what it wants to share. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a coy sphere data. But <laughs> where, where's the guardian of forever? I don't know. <laughs> Speaking of which, was everyone? What was your reaction to the guardian of forever? Were you jazzed to see it? I I loved that they used the original voice when he reveals himself, and and I thought it was a well done thing. Uh, to me, this is. Star Trek Discovery finally using the Star Trek continuity properly. And I, I know maybe it's it's like um, fan service or whatever, but it's fan service that I can get behind. It's something that I really enjoyed uh, seeing, and I haven't had that much from Discovery so far. I agree. Although I did kind of hope it was Q. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it would have been great for John Delancey, but I think they would have to have Discovery have its own cue. Well, then, yeah, there can be more. There's lots of cues. Yeah. Yeah, but that was always kind of weak sauce, right? Whenever it was a cue episode without John Delancey, you were always just rolling your eyes waiting for John Delancey to show up. <laughs> yeah. I um, I didn't mind it. I it, Yeah, I think it felt it felt earned. It felt reasonable. Like, it was a... There's a lot of... of, of Huge moments in the canon in the in TOS that have never been readdressed, and I think you know, as long as you're not breaking it, you can use it for sure. Okay, because I watched, I went and watched the city of for um, city on the edge of forever because you had to. Sure, and, sure. And the guardian specifically says that he has no control of where you go. Yeah, but we've had 900, actually with Kirk era, close to a, you know 970 years since then. I'm willing to believe he's picked up a few new tricks. I mean, that's part of the advantage of shuttling them so far into the future, right? Is there's enough time for technology to change, for attitudes to change, for knowledge to change. Yeah, I don't think we would have assumed he could move, and yet here he's on a completely different planet. So once you start introducing things like that, I think it makes it more believable, or more manageable anyway. 
we didn't think he'd be a guy either. Like, let's not forget that. Well, he didn't manifest that. at all other than as a voice. Yeah. Now he's a guy. He's got a, a newspaper. He's got a Muskoka <laughs> chair. He's all. He's got all the accoutrement. Did anyone? I didn't catch it. I don't know if you guys did. Did you catch the newspaper? The in the in the first episode when he shows them the newspaper and the headline like Giorgio dead, it's it's the same newspaper, like the same publication that Spock reads about Edith Keeler, the the ah, Star Dispatch. I didn't. So if you're a super Trek fan and paying a lot of it attention, it's a big giveaway. But I I definitely didn't catch that. Uh, well, and one more comment on the city on the edge of forever. I, it never hit me before until I rewatched it. That in the end of that episode, they just leave. Like, this is the greatest scientific <laughs> find in the history of mankind. And they just go, yeah, okay, bye. Yeah, you know, but Kevin Kirk was sad. He was sad, so oh, it's okay. Oh, he was sad. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're going to do the same thing. They're just going to leave. Well, but it, it disappears. That's true. And and Burnham seems to be refusing to say what's up to Saru. Yeah. So, right? Or, or, right? Did I pick that yeah, up on it, that? Yeah. Yeah, we we are just to to understand that she has told the crew that Giorgio is dead, right? Although Saru knows there's something more going on. Yeah, but he's very clear. Like, but I don't have to worry about it anymore, right? right? <laughs> yes. Okay. Good. Then she's dead. We're telling people she's dead. Let's close <laughs> that book. One other sorry little nitpicky thing: that when she went back, Giorgio went back. It was. The time that Lorca went to the Prime Universe, right? That's why no one could find him. Yeah, he would have already been in the Prime Universe by then, I think. No, no, because he... Or immediately after. I thought he brought Landry with him. No, I think Landry's Prime. Yeah, Landry was Prime. pretty sure, yeah. She's just like a true believer. What what we know about Lorca's rebellion is it, it goes badly, and during it, Giorgio kills Burnham, Amir Burnham, the first time. And then Lorca's ship and the the Buren yeah. ends up in a nebula, and there's a transporter accident, and he's that, in the Prime Universe. Giorgio now, so. knows all of this. Yeah. So why is she s- sending out people to look for Lorca? Maybe, maybe you want to find Prime Lorca. Maybe no, we don't know what happened to Prime Lorca. I thought he died. We don't know. We don't see oh, him. We don't like, know. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I know what you're getting at, though. This episode had a lot of, like, Jason Isaacs is coming back. He's just yeah. around the corner any uh, minute now. And it made his know. absence seem really strange. I, I I had no expectation that he would show up. I was not surprised at all when, what was his name, like, Buddy or something, was the guy they found who was like, Lork is not here. It's just me, Buddy. Dugan, yeah. Dugan, were you surprised by that because you understand like actors and how schedules work, or were you surprised about that because of what was happening in the timeline, like, in canon? Uh, I because of actors and schedules, like there there was no yeah. way he was going to show up. Uh, Jason Isaacs, in my <laughs> mind, if he had shown up, it would have been a huge thing, and he would have to have been there way earlier, or there would have at least been a picture of him. I don't even think they wanted to pay for like the the rights to a picture of him. And if they can't get him back, then why put so much attention on it, right? Like, why mention his character so many times? Well, I think it has to do with. I think we're. I think that's meant to place those actions in the the, the continuity that is described earlier. I I think that was my understanding. Mm-hmm. It was just, oh, Lork is gone because we know where he went, but Mira Burnham doesn't know. But also, we understand that she kills Mira Burnham during that rebellion, 
So this is all this is all supposed to be right exactly when Lorca appears in the the other universe. Right. So it's real. I I my understanding was this is meant to place us exactly temporally in the right place. Fair enough. All right. Any final thoughts? Anything else? Anyone had uh, left hanging? Well, the final goodbyes between uh, Burnham and Giorgio, I found very well written and very touching. Like right at yeah. right before she went yeah. back. I agree. Um, yeah. You know what? I, I yeah, I really liked that. And directly in contrast to her wake. Yeah. Where I found it yeah. dragged out and said nothing and did the yeah. swelling music and the crying again. And yeah. the whole time I was like, there. If I was on the ship I, like I like Giorgio as a character watching the show if I were on the ship I would hate her guts she's so <laughs> mean and so and everyone's so deferential to her and she's this mirror universe murderer I would not be having a tearful drink to her I feel I like the whole time I was watching I, I was like I bet there's some ensign in the back of the room drinking quietly being like oh I don't Care she's gone. Good riddance. Yeah. Thank God. Right? Gone. Am I the only totally one? Agree. That did not feel like an earned scene. I feel like that that scene should have just been Saru and Burnham in his or her quarters. Yeah, maybe Linus for the comedy. Yeah, yeah. I'll teleport <laughs> in. Yeah. yeah. But you're, but no, but mom, you're right. The like, you know, before she goes into the into the into the guardian into yeah. the door, their goodbye. I really bought yeah. all that. Yeah. And that and that felt earned. That felt like the culmination of, you know, three seasons of this relationship. It was like, a, it was a well it was a well done goodbye yeah. for, to the character. I'll, I I just want to touch on the other plot just very slightly. Like this is so slow, guys. So yeah, slow. I know. We God, Ed, Ed and find the ship. This this our plot, and in addition to that being super slow. The the admiral and Saru's relationship with the admiral is, it, I I was liking him and now I'm not liking him again. Like just pick a side, <laughs> you know. Like he's like, oh, you can't do this. You can do this. We're you know, protocol. Well, he, he said they had low standards. Yeah. I thought that was insulting. Well, for Booker, yeah. <laughs> well, no, he said Saru and Burnham. Sure. At low standards. Yeah, on they're talking about Booker. <laughs> well, but yeah, but I just really—that's how you treat your, you know, hero captain. And <laughs> well, I don't think he thinks of him just... as a hero because he's he's literally he's he's green as captain. You know, they they so the discovery promoted him to captain, but the 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 brass didn't. So he's still thinking of him as a commander. I think. He's, he's thinking of him as very green, and he's treating him as very green, and you know, r rightfully or wrongfully, but he's he's very explicit about how he's treating him. Did you? And they are just a little next... out of the ordinary, right? I mean, I understand yeah. that. No, I get that too. Sorry, did you see scenes from next week? I didn't. No. Oh, okay. Well, I saw scenes from next week, and they actually managed to get to the ship in the that's stranded in the nebula. Okay, okay. that's good news. Yeah. I'm with Dave on that one. Like I've been talking about this this whole episode. I want more Star Trek and less Michael Burnham. And the bird is Star Trek. That's I'm waiting for that to start, like since the start of this season. So we'll see what happens next and, week. And the other part of that one, the the oh, I've got a magic box that will open that'll let you solve this problem. Like that seems a little bit, you know, I, I get it. It's supposed to be the, you know, enemy technology, but A, the admiral's worried about it 
infiltrating systems, I guess, I guess. But I feel like at this point, you're either you trust the crew to know how to operate that sort of thing, or you don't. And then B, why does the Emerald Chain have better technology than the Federation? Yeah, something's up with... I want to know more about what happened to the Federation. Yeah, and I, I do think that it doesn't... It's not a huge deal that the Emerald Chain has better technology than the Federation, because this isn't, you know, your mother's Federation. Federation. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Federation that's been through some stuff, and there there's, like, six planets left in it, so I can understand them falling behind the curve on some technology stuff these days. But if it's the one thing that they need is is it's it's long distance communication right that's the only thing they need that's like the primary like development after you lose work warp drive will be long distance communication and also you need a subspace relay to talk to this other ship but you can talk to the to the admiral wherever he is yeah <laughs> yeah it's a little uh, hard to follow that logic. they just wanted to put I mean, another bump will... in the relationship i get it but I will techno-babble that by saying I don't know that it's necessarily the range they're having trouble with, but it's all the space magic, subspace interference, and, you know, tachyon distortion and stuff because of the nebula sure. and that the, you know, and so whatever's going on. Like, I'm, I'm willing to believe there's some techno-babble for it as opposed to a clean line of communication. So I'll give them that. But yeah, I do. I do think Booker just being like, oh, let me just, you know, let me just get my, my Wi-Fi thing and plug it in here is a little... Like, I know they want Booker to prove himself, but that's that's not him proving himself. That's just him having a toy in his closet. Yep. Yeah, plenty more cool stuff to come. Um, we are so way over time. Oh, this yeah. is going to take me forever to edit. I think we got to wrap it up. Um, after going through episode to episode, does anyone... I feel like no one's really changed their, their mind about anything, right? We still are sort of divided on how the show's doing. You know what? I think everybody's being just too damn picky. We went through so many years of no Star Trek at all, <laughs> and now it's like we the, we finally get a, this plethora of Star Trek, and all of this isn't good, and that's not good, and this isn't as good as it could be. It's Star Trek. No, but I, mean, I, I disagree because of how good Lower Decks is. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I am bereft without Lower Decks. Discovery is on my to-do list. It's something I have to do on Saturdays before I can, like, relax. It's it's a chore. Um, lower Decks, I looked forward to Thursday every week, eagerly. I had Lower Decks lunch on Thursday. I would reorganize my meetings at work so that I'd have this, like, 45-minute block of time. It's lower Decks filled me in a way that I feel like is how religious people feel. Yeah. I, and I, um, I, I go discovery back. Discovery is not doing that. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I think, I think, season one and season two were better than season three so far. I think I hundred percent disagree. Of I hundred percent disagree as well. well. If they get to the well, just, if they get to the end of season three, and I feel like the threads led all led somewhere, then then I might change my tune. Like they have in DS9, where they're in big, big trouble, and all of a sudden everybody shows up to help them. Commander Riker shows up. Well, even like in DS9, <laughs> where they, where the Romulans and the Klingons show up, or you know when they're retaking the space station, just yeah, or in, yeah. well Doctor Who when everybody comes to save him too. It's like everybody you've ever spoken to that you've ever done a good thing for shows up at the climax to save I, you. 
Yeah, and I, I just, I really didn't like season one of Discovery, and I feel like it every season has improved. I really liked Pike in season two and anything to do with him, and this yes. season I've been enjoying, but it's it's because there's all these loose threads it's hard to judge it as a whole yet yeah i'm not but it's the even even the loose threads in season two felt like they moved and felt like they went forward they had momentum towards a goal like we were i really i really liked season two i think it was the best discovery so far it tied up so neatly with all the signals going back to each one and it had it just it had so much in it that i was into i mean pike was a big part of that but even the stuff with the classic enterprise was there and they do some real star trek stuff and yeah it's still burnham heavy but just it like i just it was a show i was excited to come but, back to and it wasn't it wasn't as burnham heavy either there is an there is a pike arc there's an arium arc there's a saru arc that that feel, well there's an arium episode no but I, there, nonetheless there's an arium episode there's a, there's a saru arc right they're like the the characters they didn't just feel like the burnham show you know does anybody miss the klingons i always miss mm. klingons <laughs> I don't miss the Discovery Klingons. Yeah, the Disco Klingons were on their way back to the right place in season two. Um, they, you know, they they were real bad in season one. Season two was getting better, but they still had work to do. I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll drop some thirty-second century Klingons on us. That would that, that hasn't would be come up at all. Yeah, exactly. Who knows? They mentioned everybody there. else. That Jor, oh no, Cardassians. Car- We've seen Jor. some background Cardassians, and yeah. I think there's a Cardassian in Starfleet, in uh, like a background one. I missed that. And then, uh, yeah, we was a Bajoran, but no earring. And we've mentioned everybody else. Like we've mentioned the Ferengi. We've mentioned uh, no Dominion. No, no Dominion. You're right about that. Lots to see, um, but we do got to wrap this up. Um, Dave, Zinni, thanks so much for joining us. This is, Graham and I kind of are kind of like spark plugs. Most of the time we're interchangeable. I think we're a little further apart on Discovery, but having other perspectives for this was really important. And it was a pleasure. Thank you guys really brought that. Thank you for coming. Our pleasure. Thank you. Uh, while we are giving out thanks, also want to express uh, our thanks to Jamie Reum, the guy behind our theme song. Check him out at Jamie Reum or Jamie uh, Reum Official on YouTube and Instagram, respectively. And check out his uh, online virtual trivia pub nights at triviashmivia.com. And of course, finally, special thanks to you, uh, the listeners, the audience, our fellow fans in Trekdom. This uh, has, you know, this is the sort of thing that we would do with our free time and waste it. So because of you, we got to turn it into something productive and that's a blast um strong opinions about star trek discovery is there stuff that you're upset about is there stuff that you agree with is there other comments you think things things we should have touched on we'd love to hear about it um make a strong enough case and we could you know get it on the show because we're going to be talking about disco again uh, all sorts of ways that you can get a hold of us you can email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5, and we're at geektop5 on Twitter. Star Trek Discovery Season 3 continues uh, throughout December and into January on CBS All Access in the pretty much a lot of the world and on the Crave streaming network here in Canada. Um, on the weird chance that you've listened to like two hours of this and haven't watched the show, 
probably got mixed opinions, but it's it is new Star Trek. It might be worth a look, and that'll keep you busy uh, until we have a chance to talk to you again. And uh, and so yeah, and that was 2020. The way we saw it here at Geek Top Five. Uh, not my favorite year, but uh, I think we managed to, to find some things to enjoy in there. Uh, you know, managed to have some fun along the way. Um, Geek Top 5 is going to be on holidays for the next couple of weeks, uh, but we'll be back in January 2021. Um, and uh, it'll still be quarantine edition, it looks like, but uh, hopefully that is on the uptick. So while we're away, uh, feel free to check our back catalog in case you've missed anything. We've got a lot of fun stuff for you in there. And uh, otherwise, happy holidays. Have a happy new year. And until we talk to you again, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again next year. <laughs>